Ladies and gentlemen, welcome again once more to... When the hell are we going to name this podcast podcast? Yes, we have to come well, up with, with a name with a name uh, for this oh. podcast. <laughs> we are, we've got a couple up our sleeve, perhaps, but... Um, there's a few, there's a few in contention. We should get a move on with that. I think so. <laughs> Watch this space. But if you've got any suggestions, let us know. We'll consider them. Yeah. Lightly. <laughs> we welcome best. nonetheless. Welcome nonetheless. Uh, I'm Jake Spear, and joined, as always, uh, with my esteemed Bond colleagues, Adabi Deck. Bonjour. And our expert in the field, Brandon McClelland. Reporting for duty. <laughs> Very good, gentlemen. Brandon. Yes. Our mission today. Our mission today is 1995's GoldenEye. Ooh! Yes, the first of the Pierce Brosnan films. Lovely, lovely, lovely. I'm very excited. For I this can't one. wait. Very excited. Now, we should get this out of the way. Mm. Darby, you haven't seen GoldenEye for quite a while. I feel, yes, a long time. If you had to, if you were a gambling man, I feel like the last time I saw it, I was a teenager. Wow. That's my gut instinct. I think really, I, really I definitely have like watched the opening sequence on YouTube. You mm-hmm. know what I mean? I've, 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 it's been familiar to me since then, but I feel like the last time I actually sat down and watched the film the whole way was a long time ago. Wow. Mm. So I'm excited. Yeah. yeah I'm but excited I remember the thing that. that I also always associated with the, the movie, which made me love it so much when I was a kid was the experience of playing the video game. Yeah, right? absolutely. You know, I could never watch... I think we're such a part of that generation that that's a central thing to our childhood. Mm. And I could never watch the film and separate the two. When I'm watching the movie, I'm having flashes of the same scene in the video game and vice versa. Such that, a unique time in entertainment. It's, and that makes it a really unique movie. It's totally. More, it's like dripping in nostalgia, but like a healthy nostalgia. It's one of the first times where you can actually be the character. Exactly. Yeah. Play the character. And it is so close to the film. Mm. I mean, the soundtrack, the look of it, yeah, yeah. Um, for the, the time, all well. the levels are in the film. Yeah, yeah. It, it's oh, it, it's brilliant. Oh, yeah. I remember the Brosnan films being out while Goldeneye was out, and going to the cinema and getting excited about going to the movies and then and playing, the playing the games. Exactly, yeah. it was a, yeah, crazy. Well, funnily enough, this Jake. We have seen this film together yes. quite recently. Yes. In fact, we watched this film only six weeks I ago. I think it was about six weeks back. And I couldn't make it. Darby couldn't make it that night. <laughs> Darby was, was busy. Um, he was on, on assignment. Um, but funnily enough, that viewing of Goldeneye mm. was what inspired the, uh, the creation of this podcast. Yeah, because we... We watched that after you had come over to just hang out one night and you said to me that you had seen barely any of the Bond films. Uh, I laid out all my old VHS uh, um, James Bond uh, special editions. And uh, we kind of whittled it down over the course of about an hour. We, we did. There was we, a really meticulous kind of whittling down yeah. of which one we're going to finally settle on. And, and it came down to Goldfinger and Goldeneye, right? I think so. It was the two golds. Mm. I even took an online test as to figure out what exactly would they my, work, man. They're the honest my, truth. Well, you know, the film I got in that test was Doctor No. Doctor No. Uh, yeah. Okay. 
which we decided against. Uh, well, I kind of pushed you away from it because a little bit. In terms of what you had said you were looking for in a Bond film, yes, I kind of went, it's either Goldfinger or Goldeneye. Yeah, and this was when it all sort of came to the surface for me of like trying to get to the bottom of what it is that I'm searching for in a Bond film and what, what we all are searching for <laughs> in a Bond film. You know? And we each have our own different tastes and I, I think that really kind of sparked an interest in... in well, let's go and find that together. A bond for each of us. Let's go, there is a Bond out there for everyone. But you've got to go through them all, which yeah. is what we're doing. It's what we're doing. And so now we're six weeks on. We did watch it. Mm. Now, you say yes. that you don't have uh, you, you don't, you, you don't have a, a super clear memory of Terrible. Film. No, I can hardly remember a thing. Why is that, do you think? Yeah. I, I dropped on, the, on my head as a kid. Were you tired when you watched it? No, no. I mean, look... I could I could remember bits and pieces. What'd yeah. you have for breakfast? <laughs> uh, <laughs> let me think about it. No, I had a bowl of Nutrigrain for breakfast. Uh, okay. oh. yes. But you can remember that. But I can remember that. I can remember that. No, look, there's definitely... I can remember a decent amount of film. Uh-huh. Certainly not enough to talk about in great detail. I remember... Are we getting into this right now? Is this what's going to happen? Are we doing preconceived notions? I don't think we do preconceived All notions right. yet. But I can I, remember bits of it. Bits of it. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. See, it's, it's funny. For me, this is going to be... I know that film so bloody well. Wow. I've, I, that, that's one of the ones that I watch at least twice a year. Mm. Um, and Why? so having said... Because it's one of my favourites. Okay. That makes sense. Um, without getting into what too many preconceived notions. Oh, but okay. having seen it six weeks ago, I'm really, really interested to see how I go watching it so closely... You know, watching them almost back to back. You'll see its technical flaws a little more, but I, I think that's natural of... Maybe, maybe not. But I don't think you'll like it any less. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Mm. I, I, I'm, what is I'm, it about Martin Campbell that makes him such a good bomb director? I was thinking about this today. Is it he's just... He understands genre? Is that what it comes down to? I think he understands Bond. Mm. I think he understands what But he also character. did, like, The Legend of Zorro. You know, he, un- he understands... Yes. Yeah, and, that's true. I, and I he think, also did the Green Lantern, which ooh, is not very. Did good. he do that? He he did Green. Lantern. Oh wait, Green Lantern. Yeah, no, he did that. Yeah, yeah. but that was you know. <laughs> yeah, I'm Every, not everybody's going to get. You know that. what I think yeah. it is. <laughs> yeah. You know what I think it is with Martin. It's because he checks himself. Uh huh. He fact checks himself. Oh. It's fact check. Oh. It was a quick one. <laughs> Expecting a long tell joke. it was thought about today. Yeah, right? yeah. Like he almost only came up with it on in the spot. Hey, well, look, you know what? Yeah. Oh, yeah. I did. I did. <laughs> <laughs> Gentlemen, I want to take you all the way back to the living daylights. Oh, thank you. Now, Brandon. Here we go. Of course. Now, you <laughs> said that Dalton was in his early 40s when he became Bond. Yeah. You said that you would wager he was 41 when he took on the role. Then you second-guessed yourself and said maybe 43. Yeah. I just... In my head, I just did that again. I was like, 41 or 43? Mm. Yeah? You've got to trust your gut, because he was 41. Oh! Absolutely, he was. Well, you didn't have to check that one, then. No, but I just wanted to double-check, because, you know... Yeah, it's good good to solidify that. And... Makes him feel good that he gets it right. It's just a pat right. on the back. Yeah. Brandon, you then followed up by saying Dalton was first approached to play Bond. Yes. Before Lazenby. 
Then he was approached again once Connery finished Diamonds Are Forever. I believe that is true. That is true. That is true, yes. Dalton finally signed on to a three-film deal on the 30th of July, 1986. Why did he play so hard to get? Don't know. Well, he thought from memory, and this could be a fact check within the fact check, Mm. from memory he thought originally he was too young. Because I believe if he was 41 Mm. in 87, Mm. then in 69 he would have been... I think we touched on this before. He would have been 23? Yeah. 22, 23. My math isn't strong. No, so no, 20, and 23 is very young. The only other actor that I know that's been considered for the role uh, that was anywhere near that age was Henry Cavill, who was uh, 22 mm. when he was considered to take over um, in 2000, for 2006's Casino Royale and was, in fact, uh, Martin Campbell's um, first choice. Wow. Martin Campbell really went into bat for the young Henry Cavill. Interesting. Interesting, Um, yeah. Which is, uh, and that's a debate that is really raging online at the moment in the Bond community. Um, About who's going to take over. Who's going to take over. You know, there's all the the names like James Norton and my personal favourite, and I think everyone in the room's personal favourite, is Richard Richard Madden, Madden. who Mm. is just fantastic. Mm -hmm. Um, But... Uh, Henry Cavill's name has been thrown around a no, lot. No, thank you. And well, and he's very pop. He seems to be very popular Ooh. online. I think we're probably all wrong. I don't think any of the names that anyone's throwing out at the yeah. moment are right. What's not to say that Bond doesn't go on a massive hiatus again? I really hope it doesn't. I would love to see a, a film for the 60th anniversary. Yeah. I, that's two years away now. Gee. So it's. N- Look, all signs are pointing to it not happening. Right. Unless Barbara Broccoli and Michael G. Wilson are being a little sneaky when they say they haven't thought about the next film yet. Mm. They would have to be moving on a story later this year and settling on a script at least by the end of the year. They'd want to be rolling at the the very start, like February, (sighs) March of next year. It's, It's tough. It's tough. But... They've done it before. They've done it before. Yeah. The first five films all came out, I mean, within a year of each other, apart from, well, hang on, two, three, four, five, apart from Thunderball and You Only Live Twice, which were two years apart. But I mean, you know, uh, Man with the Golden Gun and Live and Let Die, one year apart, Um, two years apart for pretty much every other Bond film, apart from... Licence to Kill and Goldeneye. Yeah. Die Another Day in Casino Royale. Oh, look, once we get past... <laughs> once we get into the Craig era, I mean, four years seems to be the norm when you're waiting for a new film. Yeah. Um, and that might just be a, a symptom of, of him as an actor, you know, not wanting to speculate, but maybe he just doesn't like to revisit the character too frequently as I, well. I think yeah. it's exhausting. Yeah, he has to, talked about it, that. It, yeah. He was getting injured quite a lot. Um mm. I mean, so we've kind of got into speculation of what we would like from the next Bond film. Mm. But, um, before I mean, we I, do, before yeah. we get too far into speculation of any kind, including preconceived notions, mm-hmm. yell at me. we're going to continue on with a bit of fact-checking, because there's still a few to come. Please. Now, there was a bit of a discussion between Brandon and I about what car Bond drives in Living Daylights. I certainly mentioned that it was my favourite. And you said it was a 78. I said it was a 77 V8 Aston Martin. Oh, okay. Brandon said it was 87. There was a bit of debate oh, yes, about the, the year. Mm-hmm. 
There were fisticuffs, drinks thrown in each oh, other's faces. Oh, there was a lot of names. Really violent. violent. Mm. Really violent. Mm. <laughs> the vehicle at the beginning of the film is a V8 Vantage Valenta mm-hmm. convertible. The car used in these scenes was a Valenta owned by Aston Martin Lagonda chairman Victor saying? Gauntlet. Right. It was his car. Oh. Later on in the film, though, the car is fitted out with a hard top, right? It's winterized. Yes. At Q yeah. Branch. Now, in these scenes, they actually feature a pair of non-Vantage V8 saloons. Oh. They were fitted with the same number plate and Vantage badges to match the previous Vantage. Now, the V8 Vantage was introduced in 1977. Mm-hmm. And it was marketed as Britain's first supercar. Oh. However... There's the American influence. Mm -hmm. The convertible Vantage Valenta version... I think it's Volante. Thank you. (laughs) (laughs) I only know that because of the disco Volante in Thunderball. Oh, thank you again, Mr. Bond. Uh, That version of the car was produced between 1986 and 1989. Oh. Mm. So the car we see at the very beginning of the film, which this car is now based on, could have only been produced between 86 and 89. Right. So I surrender. Yeah. Yeah. You were correct. I will show mercy this once. (laughs) But just this once. I'll have you know. (laughs) What are the names of the two movie critics... Oh, he yeah. better Brand- Brandon so bravely mispronounced. <laughs> well, I got Ebert, right? <laughs> Rogers and Ebert. Rogers. Ebert no, and the other no, no. guy. Shebert. Oh. Ebert and Schubert. There's a whole bunch of different... Schuster, I think, got I said Schuster for sure. <laughs> Schuster for sure. <laughs> I, I do know who it is now. Uh, who is it, Brandon? Siskel and Ebert. It is Siskel. Siskel. It's Gene Siskel. That's right. Now, apparently, this original review from At The Movies with Siskel and Ebert, Ebert apparently, according to Brandon, said, yeah, I think he does pretty well. I don't know whether I like the film as much, but I think he makes an interesting bond. And then the other guy... Schubel Schistermann. Mr. Siskel, he just craps all over it, apparently, according to Mr. McClellan. Um, so instead of me paraphrasing Miss, Mr. Siskel and Ebert about their thoughts on the living daylights, like uh, my colleague here does, Mr. McKellar, <laughs> let's hear from the men themselves. Our first movie is The Living Daylights with Timothy Dalton as the new James Bond. And I guess the question that people would like an answer to is what kind of a James Bond does he make? Well, I give him a mixed review. Timothy Dalton is a good actor. He is very convincing in the movie's more serious moments. He has a great screen presence. He looks interesting. But if he has a weakness, it's the comic side of the character. The movie has great stunts. It has good special effects. It has a Bond who needs to work on his sense of humor. And it has a Bond girl who is not in the great tradition. And I I, uh, I should add thumbs thumbs down. down. Me too, Roger. I was uh, disappointed in the film. I'm not as impressed, actually, with Dalton as you are. Uh, He's better than Roger Boer, but for me, that's not much of a compliment. He's nowhere near Connery was. It's a classic figure. To me, he looked a little mousy. Uh, This Pierce Brosnan, (laughs) I saw him in a new film coming up, uh, Fourth Protocol, 
I think he might make a better Bond. He has more of the verve for life. This guy seems a little reticent. So I've got, I've got to go back now and defend Timothy Dalton. Now, you mentioned Pierce Brosnan, who was also offered this yeah. role. Dalton, I think, does have a very good screen presence here. I think that he, he's the last thing I would describe him as is mousy. I he, think that's a mousy, astonishing okay. thing for you to say. Well, I did it. I called James Bond a mouse, and I live to say it. Well, there you go. Very good. Thank you, Mr. Siskel and Mr. Ebert. Jake, I believe you can continue on with your fact check. <laughs> Thank you very much. Now, who is the double O agent that falls down the cliff before Mr. Dalton's first shot of the film? Darby, you have a guess. Oh, uh, the there number? Were, there were yeah. mention of two. <clears throat> there no. could only be two. Double O four. Oh, that was one of them. That was one of them. All right. Okay, so uh, just for interest's sake, mm. I'm going to go 002. Ooh. Because I know that the two other 00s are 004 and 002. Yes. They are the ones that are on the mission, the training exercise with 007 at the start. Mm-hmm. 002 is eliminated from the exercise having landed in a tree mm. with a SAS guard. It is 004. Well done, who is Dick? Plummeting to his well, death. I feel I earned that victory. When Dalton is first revealed to us. Now, in what other film do we first meet 004? Oh, I think I know. Yeah? Do you want to have a guess, Dalton? No, no idea. I'm going to say it would be in the um, the briefing uh, with the, all the other 00s uh, in Thunderball. You are correct. Yep. It is Thunderball. <laughs> Oh, I love the giddy thrill. (laughs) Oh, I love a good fact check. What is the name of the weird Soviet troop transport that chases Bond through the snow? There's a bit of a... We we were kind of trying to figure out what that weird thing was. All the Mm. the Soviet soldiers up there with their AK-47s kind of shooting off the thing. I scrolled through countless fan websites, wiki blogs, and... Possibly dark web Soviet history books on online. I've no doubt I'm on some sort of list from our intelligence agency thinking I'm some sort of spy. Good God. Good God. (laughs) And I could not for the life of me find this vehicle. Really? I think it's a custom. I think it's a custom built... It's a Peter Lamont special. I think it is. I think it is because all of the other Soviet... You know, there were lists upon lists of, of Russian Soviet... Troop transports and tanks that all feature in not only The Living Daylights, but all the Bond films. Mm. And this thing wasn't there. So I think it's a production design. Wow. I'm putting That's it down. pretty cool. If someone can track it down... Yeah, please. Wh- right, send right. it in. Yeah, either yes, send no. it to us on Facebook or Instagram or Twitter or wherever. But for me, I could not find it. It had me beat. Wow. So two more to go to finish this up. When is the very first time this particular M appears? Brandon seemed quite certain about this. We just wanted to double check as facts get thrown around quite a lot here on the podcast. (laughs) So uh, we wanted to know first when this particular M appears as the Admiral. Admiral, can I guess, is it Admiral... Is it Admiral Hargreaves? It is Admiral Hargreaves. Well done. Yes. Well done. Wow. Um, Brandon, you said that you thought it was the spy who loved me. Yeah, I'll stick with that. You should, because you're right. Yes, yes, <laughs> yes! <laughs> Robert Brown first appears in The Spy Who Loved Me as Admiral Hargreaves. Yes! <laughs> then, 
as M first, as you said in the podcast, in Octopussy, all the way through until License to Kill. Now, License to Kill was uh, Mr. Brown's second last screen credit, would you believe? Mm. His final screen appearance was in the 1991 hit TV series Merlin of the Crystal Cave, Mm. for those playing at home. And the very final fact check here we have today. Wow, a quick fact check. It is, it is. What is the name of the actor who plays Felix? Oh. Oh, Now uh... there's talk of Henry Terry, Terry Henry, John Terry, Harry John Terry. Yeah. Harry John Terry, I'm going with. <laughs> Harry Tom, Harry John Tenry. Uh, uh, John Terry. It I, is John yeah. Terry. It's a boring name. <laughs> For a boring Felix. Yes. Yeah. Whoa. Hands down, I'm going to say it, hands down, the worst Felix. And I know we haven't seen them all, and I know that might colour your opinion. Yeah. Prove me wrong, children. <laughs> <laughs> Prove me wrong. Ladies and gentlemen... That is fact check. Oh, thank you very much. Wonderful, as always. Wonderful fact check, which also kind of turns into a bit of a quiz segment for us. A little bit. It's turning into one, isn't (laughs) it? Which is quite good. Well, it's good. It keeps us on our toes. It does. It does. Well, before we watch, for us, re-watch this film, we have all seen this film before, some Mm. uh, more recently than others. Mm, So I guess we don't have a preconceived notion. Well, I think we do. We do. It's probably the most informed preconceived notion. Mm. Um, Darby, I'm going to start with you. What are your preconceived notions? First of all, I'm going to say, what are your preconceived notions of Pierce Brosnan? Well, because this is our first Pierce Brosnan. Yeah, And he was our... A lot of people say that for people our age, he was our Bond. I disagree with that. I actually think that our Bond is Daniel. As we've established, it's been a while since I've seen it. I guess my main feeling is that I'm excited to see this movie yeah. again. Um, <clears throat> I don't hold Pierce very high on my list as a Bond. Yeah, um, which has always shocked me when you've said that. Yeah. Because he seems to be... I don't know. I don't. I think watching the other films recently has made me realise, maybe, or have a better understanding of why I don't really like him. I think he just... He's, it's just, I guess it's just his flavour of the character it just doesn't quite appeal to me. I prefer the kind of more... I, he doesn't really strike me as being a very intellectual Bond, I guess is my main gripe. Mm. I, I tend to prefer a bit going on beneath the surface. So I think, your preconceived notion of Bond is that he's, that he's intelligent, that he's got to... He's got to I like... Uh, my Bond needs to have a wit. That's one of your Smart. criteria. That's my yeah, criteria. Yeah, yeah. My bond, your bond is... He, needs, he can't mm-hmm. be of klutz. Yep. He can't... Mm. He can't happen across his luck he needs to always execute on a plan even if the plan is invented invented in the moment his instincts have to be sharp and he needs to be intelligent and and you don't think of that when you think i don't think of that when i think of pierce what do you think of him because you you wouldn't think of him as a klutz would you not a klutz i remember having a problem with him as an agent at some point I remember thinking he wasn't a very capable agent. Not in Goldeneye. I think he does everything pretty well as a James Bond in Goldeneye. But, again, it's just... I think he plays up a different... uh, The energy that I think of when I think of Pierce is a a cocky kind of confidence and a a capability in the action scenes and a a capability with the leading ladies. And I I get that he has good wit and timing with his one-liners. But... 
yeah, he doesn't really ever have to work hard to understand what's going on. I think it's kind of more... Everything falls in his lap Everything falls in his lap a bit. Mm. Yeah. That's interesting. Because, mm. funnily enough, that was um, my mum's my uh, view right. of Bond. And it was very, very strongly coloured by... Um, Pierce Brosnan mm. and a little bit by Roger Moore actually yeah yeah there's um, a similarity between them I think one of the things before. yeah and mm. one of the things that um, that my mum would always say about when I was you know she would walk in you know and I'd be halfway through a Pierce Brosnan film it's not what it looks like close it up in parts actually with his films um, no she would always go oh yes here we go it's James Bond, old Pierce Brosnan. There's never a hair out of place. Oh, yeah. He jumps off buildings, he does this, he does that, and never breaks a sweat. Hmm. Which I think could be said of maybe his latter films. Definitely, I agree with Die Another Day. He gets which... thrown around a bit in GoldenEye, doesn't he? Yeah. He does. Yeah. yeah. I remember there is that element to Goldeneye. That's maybe why it stands out to me as being the better Bond, because there's a more physical danger to it, perhaps. Yeah. Um, Outside of Brosnan, mm. what are your preconceived notions? Or at least, I guess we can say this, what are your memories? Um, I'm of, really excited to see how Martin Campbell directs and handles this one. Yeah. Um, because he did such amazing work on Casino Royale, and I believe in his ability as a genre storyteller. So I'm excited to see how he handles two different Bonds and whether he goes down a completely different route. He seems adaptable in his style. He's not doesn't have you know a, a certain one way to do things. Um, so I expect there to be DNA similarities, but nothing too crazy. Yeah. So I'm interested in that aspect. Because 11 years separate those films, 11 too, years. which is a huge amount of time. It is, yeah, absolutely. Wow. Um, I'm excited. I'm kind of interested to see the uh, the influence of the '90s uh, in full force and see what that looks like in a Bond film. Um, Does that scare you? No, not so much. No, I don't think so. I think it'll have its own positive. I think it's very colourful and colour suits Bond. So it does, if it's a colourful it? palette, really then I, I think I'm happy days. I'll enjoy it all the more. It, yeah, it's yeah. funny. Um, there are two films that I think uh, don't... They kind of go into the monotone, mm. at least in my memory. They're very kind of awash in one colour. Mm. And they're the two films that I think don't work the most. Right. Um, or they work the least, however is best to say that. And so it's funny you say that. Jake, you've watched this film six weeks ago. This yes. was the film that... After we watched that film, yep. we should say to the listeners... Mm. We were we were buzzing. Yes, we'd had a, a bloody brilliant time watching <laughs> it, and it was after that that you turned to me and you said, "We're watching every single one of these films." Yeah, and then we were like, "Okay, let's meet up in a week." And we ended up chatting with Darby. And we said, "Look, let's let's go from the very beginning and watch." You know, blah 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 blah. The, the podcast was born because then of the there. viewing that we had of Goldeneye six mm. weeks ago. Mm-hmm. Uh, preconceived notions, I guess, is, as you said earlier, it's kind of a tricky thing to uh, to kind of call this because it is a f- fairly fresh memory. Yeah. Um, what What are you... I don't know. What are you expecting? What are you looking for going into this viewing of GoldenEye? Which will only be your second viewing because I yeah. must say this, and I was shocked by this. You had never seen GoldenEye 
before that fateful before viewing six weeks ago in when was it December yeah December of 2019 yeah look I'm still buzzing from that first screening of GoldenEye I'm very excited for me Brosnan is my bond because of the game mm-hmm. yes <laughs> game because my best friend in primary school would host a lot of movie nights and sleepovers and game parties and things like that at his place. And when I walked into his house, he had a poster of a Bond film, and I think it was Goldeneye. It was definitely Brosnan, hanging up on the wall, and it had the Bond girls. Do you remember what was on? What kind of the main colour of the no, poster I was? I feel like it was white. Really? I feel like it was Brosnan with a kind of white background, and I think it was the gold lettering. You know what? I think that might have been The World Is Not Enough. Oh, maybe. Because maybe. the poster for Goldeneye was majority black. Right, see. And it was Brosnan kind of running out from an explosion. That was kind of the centerpiece. And then there was a larger Brosnan above, and then the two Bond girls over his shoulders. There were all the set pieces kind of layered in. Yeah, Whereas right. The World Is Not Enough was a kind of white and teal colour with the gold lettering and it was just him and the two Bond girls standing on it. I think it might have been that. That's might have been the Bond, it's not enough. For me, seeing that poster as a kid and, I mean, my best friend at that point seemed like a god because he was clearly allowed to watch these films. (laughs) All this action and pretty women and things like that. Man in a classy suit. Brosnan encapsulated, for me, style, class, masculinity... Bond, I think watching GoldenEye reinforced that for me, that he gets the balance right in this film. I think, look, this film, my preconceived notion is that this is my favourite Bond film ever. Mm. Um, I think one, I think there's a couple of things that are making me a little bit hesitant, and it's the CGI of the satellite. The CG is that enough? Is that enough to, to kill it for you though? Because I don't think so. I, 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 some, I think with the special effects, apart from Die Another Day, and I'm <laughs> dreading the, I really am dreading God. the day that we have to watch that film. <laughs> um, apart from Die Another Day, I forgive the special effects. Yeah. Um, because it's the best. It's what they had at the time. Sure. I will say. Why didn't they do it for real? Well. <laughs> Funny you say that, because I think that GoldenEye kind of marks the start of where CGI starts to come in a bit more. There's yeah. still miniatures, there's still doing it for real. They the, do it when they the majority, but, but when it comes to the point of, this hang new on, technology. we can do this in a computer now, sure. let's do it. Yeah. Um, sure. But I'm, I'm quite forgiving of it, actually. I am too. The, and the only other thing that's kind of uh, in my mind um, is the score. Yeah. The lack of it. The very... Um, that it's very late 80s. Oh, really? It sounds a bit like a porn There's a bit uh, of that, really? There's a bit it's of that. Eric Serra who did um, uh, Leon the Professional, The Fifth Element. It's, it's very... Of its time. Adventurous techno. But there are also moments of the score that... Maybe it's nostalgia that, that colour it for me, sure. but that... Because they're in the video game. Yeah. Mm. There's that kind of... 
I don't know. There There's is a very still that iconic moment. sound. It's in, very iconic. In, That's a great this, way to put this it. This iconic sound. I'm trying to how about how best describe it because as soon as I heard it, it took me make right it, back to um, the game and the terror that I had of being in, you know being hunted by the bad guys when I heard this kind of spooky sound. And it's like someone is hitting a crowbar against a steel pipe in an elevator shaft. Yes. It's yes, like it a, bloody is. Tum, tum. It's like a tum. I don't know, it's a weird sound, but it tum, appears tum. in the score. <laughs> and I'm like, oh my God, yes, that's Goldeneye. That's Bond. Those moments are fantastic. It's the... That is... I know. They're the moments where I go, what the fuck is this? Oh no. Look, I think I think he's a very capable Bond. I think he's 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 great in the action, he's great with the women, he's great with the one liners. I think the women are quite uh you know, the Bond girls in, in, in this film are very capable, robust, well rounded characters. Um I I think there's great action from memory, which isn't very good or reliable. Um, yeah, okay. Touching on that. Yeah. What what don't you remember? What are the, what are the things that you're you're most keen to rediscover in this film? <laughs> now he's gonna think. Come on, you can do it. You can do it. You're a big boy. <laughs> oh, this is gonna hurt. <laughs> it's all right. We're here for you. Look, I think what stands out to me the most is is the action stuff, is and and the set pieces, the big locations and, and the sets. So I don't really have too much of a problem with that. Um, Do you remember the villain's main kind of plot? No. No. <laughs> oh, okay. Really? Okay. Do you Not really. Kind of Bond's main thing with the MI6, his relationship in this film. Um, they're there. <laughs> <laughs> I just. Uh, you have a terrible memory. I have a <laughs> shocking memory. <laughs> Really? Ladies and gents, this was six weeks ago. And aside from a tank driving through the street... And what you had for breakfast. (laughs) And what I had for breakfast. Uh, Look, I can't remember. I'm keen to revisit all of it. You just switched off the Look, I had such a great time. Yeah. But nothing's too, you know, burnt into my brain as to why it's so good. Yeah. Like but you're pretty confident in saying that you think this is your your number one. Yeah, I'm remembering the feeling I had. <laughs> What's your favourite part? It's that feeling. It's yes, the feeling that, that stayed with me. Yeah, the, yeah, the, yeah. During the screening of it's it. It's an emotional memory. Yeah, it is. Mm, yeah. That's what I'm recalling. Yeah. What's your favourite ice cream? I'll know when I taste it. <laughs> <laughs> but I can't tell you. Exactly. Because I couldn't tell you. But I'll know it. If you give it to me. If you give it to me, I'll know it. For sure. Well, my favourite flavour of ice cream is Dolce de Leche, and I, I remember this film equally yeah. as well as my favourite flavour of ice <laughs> oh, cream. Oh, nice. that's a seamless a transition. <laughs> a segue. A segue. Uh, look, Goldeneye, I'm going to say it now, okay. is a top three <gasps> Bond film yeah. for me. Oh, uh, our viewing of it six weeks ago only further solidified that. <clears throat> really, really, really keen to get back into watching this film mm. because I want to test 
if I really do enjoy this film as much as I did six weeks ago, mm-hmm. watching it so close, like that back-to-back yeah, almost really. viewing. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm afraid I wanna, it's going to hinder me. Well, I, I want to test, like? test the things that I love about this. You know what I mean? Yeah, okay. I, I wonder if sometimes what when you, you watch... What do you love about it? Uh, damn near everything, actually. Mm-hmm. I think Martin Campbell has directed two of the best Bond films ever put to celluloid. In your top uh, three, both of them in your top three. Both of them are. Ooh. Yeah. Okay. There's, there's a little touch. preconceived notion for you. That's a spoiler. Mm. Um, yeah, both of them are in my top three. The ensemble in this, not only Bond, yeah. but every single actor in this film nails it. Right. That's that's my memory of this. He's we watched it six the weeks ago. Yeah. yeah, I've never had a problem with any of the performances in this film. Mm. Uh, I think the screenplay, I think the dialogue's fantastic. I think uh, the pace at which the plot moves ahead is fantastic. Eric Serra's score is a letdown for me. It's always been a letdown for me. I think it's been a letdown for most Bond fans. Mm. There's a real sense of... Um, a lot of people kind of would like to know what it, this film would have sounded like had David Arnold scored it. Yes. He comes in in the next film, Tomorrow Never Dies, and I, scores all the way up to Corner of Solace. I hope it just... I, I hope it comes in when it needs to. You know, like, I still hope that there are moments within the score that it's like, it delivers. Yeah. But there's still an element and to it that delivers. You know what? Thinking about it, when we watched the film six weeks ago, yeah. I remember... How long ago was it? How long ago was it? <laughs> Six weeks Six ago. Six weeks ago. <laughs> Just make this shot. Um, when we watched it, I remember actually there was only one piece of music that jumped out as being a bit shit. Right. And that was the... Uh, I, I don't know what the track is called, but I've always called it the um, Ladies First or Peloton track. Right. Which is the... Where mm. we first see the DB5 and the Ferrari and, you know. Yeah. That's the only piece of music that jumps out to me as being abhorrent. <laughs> yeah. um, I actually think the rest of it, that steel pipe in an elevator shaft <laughs> stuff, really kind of suits oh, the film. I just heard it. You heard it. You heard it. You heard it. That's it. That's it. I actually don't know if it... The, the more I think about it, the more I'm like, it's really only one track that is shit in this. Okay. And maybe I've been harsh on it. But my memory when I think of GoldenEye is always of, ah, oh, the score's not great. Look, I think this is Pierce Brosnan's best performance as Bond. I don't think he ever reaches this level again. Oh, I don't say that. But a lot of people disagree with me. Okay. A lot of people say that he doesn't fall into his Bond, confident Bond performance until he gets to Tomorrow Never Dies. I think his performance in Tomorrow Never Dies in The World Is Not Enough are very good. Right. Very good. There's an... From memory, because I haven't seen those films for a while, mm. from memory, there's a slight element of being almost too self-assured, mm. too confident in the role. That is a problem. Whereas... I really love my Bond to have a slight vulnerability. Mm. Yep. Um, which is why I think we've been spoilt by watching the first Bond film yeah. of each actor. 
because there would, of course, be the nervousness of this is my first one. I've got to follow in the footsteps of Orford Connery's um, place. He had to establish Great. it. Yeah. Um, that I think the first Bond film of every Bond actor is usually their best. There's some kind of palpable electricity because of that freshness. The Absolutely. Nerves, the nerves there's, there. there's something... Mm. There is something that they need to prove. Yeah. Almost. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? And I, th- I actually think that doesn't just apply to Bond films. I think that applies to damn near every actor. Yeah. Their best work is usually near the start of their career. Because they're eager, they're hungry, they've got something to prove. And as people get more comfortable... I mean, what, what's the saying? Um, a comfortable life is, is a slow death. Or something mm, yeah, like yeah, that, yeah. you know, not to get too libertarian or whatever. But, uh, yeah, look out. <laughs> oh, politics! <laughs> <laughs> but there is that thing of, um, they've got something to prove. Yeah. And I think that feeds into Bond very well. Mm. But that said, they also need to seem like the coolest guy in the room. Yeah, and I think tough. Pierce Brosnan is naturally the coolest guy in he the is, room in real life. Yes. This guy just like he looks good in a suit. Oh, he, he looks good it. in anything. Yeah. And particularly <laughs> in this film. Funnily enough they they th- they were a bit worried that he might be a bit young looking in this. Really? So you'll notice this is a less of a preconceived notion and more of a bond fact. <laughs> um, he's got a 5 o'clock shadow. In, right. I think pretty much all of older. this to make him look a little bit older, mm. which I think actually adds to it. Mm. I think it adds to it. Yeah, it gives him a little more of that graph energy. Yeah. Uh, look, Brosnan's great. I think the entire ensemble is great. The screenplay is great. It's really only... Uh, the set pieces are bloody amazing. I think there's some iconic stuff in this. Definitely. From memory, it's got the best pre-title sequence in the franchise. Ever. Um... <laughs> It's the music that I think is the the thing that jumps out to me the most. Yes. Really, other than that, I mean, I, we watched this six weeks ago, and I'm still so keen to see this film again. Yeah. I cannot wait. Well, gentlemen, I think it's time to pop in the Blu-ray for 1995's GoldenEye. Golden eye. Now there's a weakness. Golden eye. I do want to please. Well, gentlemen, we have just watched 1995's Golden Eye. Oh. Absolutely. On well your deserved. Feet. On your feet. Very good. Very good. Trey Bond. Trey, Trey Bond, Bond. Indeed. Trey Bond. I've got to say, I'm surprised at the degree to which it is Bond. You know, being 1995, that was my initial kind of discovery. It's like, oh, this is this knows what it is. Yeah. This knows what it is. Yeah, right. Does it well. You thought it might have, you know, it's well, been a long I'm, time. Bond's been think, around a long time, know, yeah, not exactly. And six years off. Yeah. 89 was the last film. License to Kill oh, was yeah. the last that's film a, before this. A... The Bond films aren't really like this anymore. No, they're, they're not. They're not really like this anymore. And I feel like 
I don't know if they just forgot how to do them this way or lost confidence in this method, but geez, it's good to see that it was still being done in the 90s. You know, it's, we could still do it now. Yeah, yeah. We could definitely make a film like this now. Yeah. I mean, the, the politics and, the, and you know, the circumstances are That's different. That's not style. But, but the basics of, of yeah. a Bond mission yeah. remain the same, be it the 60s or be it the 2020s. Mm-hmm. Um, and I think we've seen that in the first five films of each Bond actor. They are just really fucking great missions. Yeah. All made... In a very similar style. Yeah, very much so. They stick to the template. Yeah. yeah. But they, they, st- they really talk to each other. They do. Yeah, they do. There's, n- there's what, 32 years between Goldeneye and Doctor No. Amazing. Right. Brilliant. Um, initial reactions from you, Jake. How, how are you feeling? I mean, six weeks on from your original viewing of this film. What, what stands out? Are you... Um, uh, do you feel the same way that you remembered when you watched it last time or are you a bit more or a bit less excited? I don't feel the same I felt as I did last time. This time round, it's a deeper kind of love. Mm. How, so? Deep love. The How first, so? The first time that I saw this film, I was up out of the seat. Excited. Crazy excited. Mm, like, yeah. just, oh my God, what have I... Really yeah. exhilarated. What have I just experienced? This time was just a, a, a soft... It's like putting warm, on your favourite jumper. It really was. Just like <laughs> letting that love flow all over me. Mm. You know? I was just like... It all reaffirmed. It was just reaffirmation of like, yes, this... This is what it's all about, folks. It's all about... This. Goldeneye. <laughs> it's all about Goldeneye. <laughs> it's this, this film. It. We've travelled a billion years to get here. It's absolutely <laughs> amazing. Everything about it. Absolutely everything about it. It's all there. It's all it's there. All. I agree with you wholeheartedly. It is all uh, the feels. there. It is all there. It, it yeah. has a f- few of its own little quirky missteps. Sure. As Eric, we're learning. Sarah. <laughs> <laughs> you don't get out of this, Eric. <laughs> But as we're learning... And a blue earth that has absolutely no No land. land. (laughs) We didn't really need those shots out there in space. It was the blue planet. (laughs) The blue planet. (laughs) The very literal sense. We're learning that the the Bond films, they just have these little flaws. And you just kind of accept them and you go, oh, well, they're harmless. Yeah, they kind of add to the charm, don't they? I was so thrilled by this again. Uh, that that saying just then, it's like putting on your favourite jumper. <laughs> That's exactly what this felt like. Yeah, it's watching this film is exactly how I feel when I take that first sip of a really well made Vespa Martini. <laughs> I just go ooh, a little bit buzzed. Pumper's home. <laughs> Ah, oh, there is nothing better. This is my favourite night ever of us doing this. Three mates sitting around watching the best bloody Bond film. Mm. <laughs> Do you think it's your favourite? It really still, is. Yeah. Still, still your favourite. Still, still by far. Still it's way out there. i got to say, the, the kind of work that we mentioned it several times, we had to keep pulling up ourselves up on the fact that, hey, this is Brosnan's first. Yes. Because the performance of Bond... It's not showy, but it's lived in. 
There's something yeah. about it where it's just like, this guy has been doing this for decades. Yeah. For yeah. 33 years. Bond, Bond. Brosnan just seems tapped into yeah. what makes Bond Bond. And he can just go, all right, that's what Bond is. I'll do that. And you just believe it. You're just yes. there with him, 100%. Yeah, it is remarkable. I think it is... I think it's one of the most assured. I'm... Mm. I'm I'm struggling whether or not I should say it's the most assured mm. debut of a Bond actor. Mm. I think mm. I mentioned something during the screening that I just want to expand upon a little bit where I said yeah. that the thing about Brosnan's Bond, which I'm starting to unpack more and more, is that he's an amazing screen presence as Bond. But what I feel like, and this is just me, yeah. but what I feel like is that I can't picture him outside of the moments that he's on screen. Is, oh, okay. Is that I don't see him having a life and persona out of literally what we're shown in camera. Like he is the perfect screen bond. Whereas someone like Dalton, my mind naturally can kind of fill in the gaps of his life. He seems a little more real. real. Yeah. Do you find that with more? To a degree, yeah. I think there's yeah. something about more that the. That, that, what do you mean? Like you can picture him going home, getting into his pajamas, exactly. and watching TV, exactly, or or going to a restaurant, or and, just living and ordering outside of really nice What's going on outside of his strict motive? Like that, this bond's all about the mission because the bond that we see in the ninety minute, one hundred twenty minute runtime mm-hmm. of a Bond film is all about the mission. So that's what Brosnan is. Yes. You know, he, yeah, he exists in the scenes. You yeah, know, yeah, it's. Yeah. And which is maybe the perfect thing for Bond to be, but it's just maybe what I require is a little bit more of that real It's edge. funny you say that because mm. I think that's actually, that's a really interesting and rare observation when it comes to Brosnan. Right. Because Brosnan is definitely not my favourite Bond. Uh, I think he's fantastic, particularly in this. I think he is fantastic. Um but I, there is something about him that I go, what is it that's missing? Hmm. And I've never been able to put my finger on it. But I think you're getting close to putting the finger on it when you talk about the fact that I can't see him doing the Bondian things that are not in his movies. Hmm. Going to a really lovely restaurant and ordering scrambled eggs and a strong black coffee. I don't know if I can see Pierce Brosnan's Bond doing that. But I also don't think I can see Roger Moore's Bond doing that. Mm. I wonder if there's a, a similarity in, in them. Whereas I could see Dalton, Connery and Craig doing that. You think there's something about those actors, Dalton, Connery and Craig, where their real life personas seem to really enjoy the finer things in life. So yes. that kind of seeps through yeah, into their I, I wonder, I where, wonder. Where maybe, Bro- I don't know, Brosnan doesn't have those pleasures or isn't as... Yeah. Who knows? It's really but reading into it. God, Brosnan's performance in this is fantastic. It really is. It's hands down his best. It is. It's because it's so... Um, it's it's exactly not... exactly what it needs to be. It's exactly what it needs to be and yeah. it's not self-aware. Mm. Every... Even the quips, everything that he does within the film is in response to the situation that he's in or in response to or in conversation with another person there. Whereas, spoilers, I don't want to, you know, cast judgments over his 
uh, future films, but there are some moments in some of his future films where it feels a bit like he's addressing the audience. Yeah, Die Another Day. I mean, Jesus Christ, I'm not looking forward to doing that film. But Die Another Day is... There's a lot of that. And I think it creeps in, actually, in his in his other two films as It just well. seems so... I don't believe you. <laughs> it seems so hard to imagine. Like, watching what we just saw in GoldenEye, it was like... He gets it. So how can someone it. who gets mm-hmm. it... How does he drift so far? Mm. I mean, I'm not looking forward to it. Um, but it we've was... all seen Die Another Day. We have all. I think yeah, we've all yeah. seen. Apart from you, Jake, I don't. You you might not. You don't think you've seen Tomorrow Never Dies. I don't. Uh, uh, but you have a vague memory of The World Is Not Enough. Yeah, but... and I think it's because of the PlayStation One games. I don't think I've yeah, actually right. seen either of those middle Brosnan films. Right. But I'm aware of Electra, and you know vague snow scenes and stuff like that because I'm pretty sure the game incorporated cutscenes from the film yeah. but I don't it's, think a, it's a game I haven't played I haven't played Tomorrow Never Dies or The World Is Not I didn't Enough. know that there was a Tomorrow Never Dies yeah, yeah. so the GoldenEye game actually came out in 97 mm. which wow. was the year Tomorrow Never Dies came out right. um, Tomorrow Never Dies the game came out in 99 which is the year that The World Is Not Enough <laughs> came out and The World Is Not Enough game came out in 2001 which was a year before Die Another Day. day. Mm. Um, I just think he's so stylish, he's so charismatic and so capable, you know, with a gut, like the the physical movement, you're right, you commented, Darbs, when you were saying it's so sharp, the movement's so sharp, I mean, it takes a little bit of getting used to. The rhythm of watch, it's perfect for the camera style. It's so good, yeah, Yeah. for for what Martin's doing, and as soon as he bursts through a door, it's bang, check that, check that. Mm. He knows how to clear a room. Well, you get it, it's, uh, you get a real sense of his military training. Absolutely. Mm. Yes. And doesn't he, uh, doesn't he suggest that he'd be referred to as commander at some point in this? Well, he is, yeah, he's referred to as... as, Yeah, I think uh, he's, when he first meets... He says Mr. Bond, and he says commander. Commander, yeah. Yes, which, and then she goes... Well, this one's an admiral. Yeah, that's right. I enjoy a woman who... I like a woman who enjoys pulling rank. (laughs) (laughs) Great line. The the, the dialogue is so fantastic. It's the right balance. This whole film, for me, is the right balance of everything. Mm. Yeah. It's got the seriousness. There's still a grounded performance there. It's Pierce is fantastic. He nails the the little quips and the innuendos and all that kind of stuff. It's not on the nose. I think the dialogue's punny enough. It's grounded enough. I think it's a great storyline. I think all the all the supporting characters, all the Bond women, all the gadgets and the vehicles, all the action and the stunts, all the style and locations, the film. It's got the Bond mise en scene. It's got the Bond. It's just it's it, absolutely, absolutely, absolutely. Mm. It's um, yeah. It it's one of the strongest debuts mm. I think mm. of any of the of of any of the Bonds. Mm. Um, particularly that pre-title sequence. Oh. Mm. That pre-title sequence. Special. I'm trying to think if another one beats it for me, and I don't think... Mm. I think I'm, I'm quite... It's, it's leaning towards being my favourite simply because I love the technique of not showing Bond. Yep. Yeah. Same as, as you pointed out, On Her Majesty's. On Her Majesty's, yeah. Having him at first appear in glimpses, you see his hand first, then you see the back of his head, then you see him in shadow, then you see him just the side of his face. It's mm. like... Even when he dives off the dam, you oh, still can't quite make you it never, You don't see him for a good few minutes, that sort of mystery and storytelling. I said it reminds me of, you know, all the iconic characters. It's 
Indiana Jones, Indiana Jones Sherlock Holmes exactly the awful. way you introduce your hero it's mm. beautiful and, and the fact that it's a reset for Bond it's like Martin Campbell's smart enough to go this is a good time to do this because you can't do this in the second or third one you can only do it in the first one of a new Bond you know keeping the audience in anticipation when it are we going to see when are we going to see Pierce when yeah. are we going to see him mm. funny too that Martin Campbell has been responsible arguably for both of the two soft resets or yeah. reboots of mm. the franchise because even though this is uh, uh, it's made pretty clear that this is a continuation of the character we've been seeing you know Connery through Dalton yeah. you know where it's the same person there's still a, a slight element of but not exactly it, there has how to you be. remember they yeah. do that with every new bomb though but they, this they one, I think, is do like a little bit of a. We're different because yeah. by nature we're different. But this one feels mm. a little more pointed yeah. than the others. How do you Maybe. mean? Well, I think Roger Moore. They actually, uh, when we get to more, more of more. Well, yeah, it, his first scene as Bond, there is none of that mystery or intrigue. We just kind of open on Bond. And I actually think but that's a really not there interesting. Yet well, we'd already seen it in Honor Majesties a couple true, of years before. True. And, but I think with what they were doing with Moore was going, it's Bond. Yeah. It's just Bond. You don't need a grand reveal for him because it's the same guy. Slightly different, but mm. it's the same guy. Don't worry. Let's just get into the film. Hmm. Then we get to Dalton, they do a half and they one. and they kind of do a half one where mm. they're like, it's. It's Bond, but not as silly. And also, we've been here before and we all know what to expect. Yes. So let's just get through it. And then we get to this, and it's kind of like, it's been six years. Mm. Is Bond... Like, the conversation outside of the films is, is Bond relevant? The Cold War is over. Yep. Do we need Bond anymore? Mm. And then this kind of goes, all right, flashback. We're going back nine years before the current day, 95, so back to 87. 86. 86. Yeah, it would be 86. We're going back to 86. Um, So this would technically take place just before the events of um, The Living Daylights. Uh, It kind of goes, okay, this is Bond in his Cold War element. The entire pre-title sequence is just that. Mm -hmm. And then after that amazing title sequence, we are thrown into the 90s, a completely new era. Mm -hmm. And we're with Bond, the Cold War relic, navigating a somewhat new era. It feels like a soft reboot to me. It's not as uh, defined or uh, distinguished Mm -hmm. as the Casino Royale one. Yeah, they don't make him suffer it. No. They don't make him suffer the, the, the new world. It's more... And thank God. Yes. Yeah. Thank God. Whereas they do a little more with... Casino Royale. With they make him I don't know if they, oh, I don't know if they make him suffer it. I actually they think they just kind of go, it. well, it's Bond in a new era and mm. forget the old stuff. So he's not actually tied down with the baggage. Right. Whereas the GoldenEye one does have the baggage of the previous films. Whereas mm. Casino Royale is like, clean slate, forget everything you know about Bond. Mm. Right. To a point. Yeah. Um, but this pre-title sequence is extraordinary. Uh, hands down, I think it's the best stunt that they have done in the series. The damn jump. That damn bungee jump. Oh, man. 
That is terrifying. Mm. And it is amazing that they did that for real and that they shot it from as many angles as they did. Yeah. It's hats off. Whoever that stuntman is, hats off to him. I how that felt doing that, standing on that edge and just over you go. Leaping. Uh, Just extraordinary. Extraordinary. And then after that amazing damn jump, we have the... uh, uh, Piton gun, I guess you would call it. The rappel gun. Yeah, I don't know yeah. what you would like call it. A grapple that. kind of A thing. grappling, yeah, a grappling gun. Um, you know, we have Bond in the shadows. We don't get to mm. see his face. Mm. Takes the cover off the toilet and then drops down like Batman. <laughs> Great reveal of Pierce Brosnan with the newspaper Behind falling the over. Paper. And a really good first line. That's great. Beg your pardon? <laughs> Forgot to knock. <laughs> Fantastic. You know what we're going to get. Yes. You know, he's set up so well. And then he's into the into the physicality of it. And again, you see that, that quick new physicality. Totally. It's a, right. it's, a, it's a new sort of, this is what Brosnan's bringing, which is different. Dalton didn't do this. Dalton did the action, but I think there's something in, Dal- in, in uh, Brosnan's sort of yeah. pointed... Speed. There's something quite it's a, sharp. It's it sharp. is. There's it's a really quick, sharp. Quick, yeah, quick, yeah. Quick, quick, yeah. yeah. He gets to establish all that in that you know, loading the charges onto the silos and talking with Alec and and we get to see another double O, which we who love. is of course our our villain of the piece, Double mm. Six, Alec Trevelyan. We don't know that at this point. It's just good to see Bond on a mission yeah. with another, another double O. Pairing up with a double O. Because they can't all be solo missions. Yeah. Like, it just can't be. It, it doesn't make sense for it to always be a solo mission. So it's nice to see that. I'm always oh, a big fan of seeing... Part of the canon. Part yes, of the canon. I'm always a fan of seeing other MI6 agents getting involved mm. and seeing the organisation work as a whole, yes. outside of just James Bond. For sure. I love that. Mm. I really love that. In terms of the pre-title sequences that we've seen, how does this one rate for you? Is it a standout? Jake, I'm going to start with you. I mean, I think it's an absolute standout, and we've mentioned it before, because of the damn jump. I mean, that that, that in itself is, is fantastic. The I motorbike love... jump uh, yeah. to the... The plane, the plane is as another well, one for what me. A climax. Like, oh, yes. It's crazy. It's just crazy. <laughs> it's, crazy. it's a great set. It's a great it's a great location for Bond, you know, this kind of high mountain alpine Soviet base and there's you know, there's big containers of chemicals and they've been cooking up all this evil mm. stuff and there's the uniforms so of the you know, the whole going Soviet Union. Oh man, working through the facility and you know, tracking down the staircases and the little the secret meetup with Alex and uh, yeah, all all of that, I love it. I, I love every part of it. Yeah, I think I, I mean I adore this pre-title sequence. I think the more I've learnt about pre-title sequences, the more, the more I realise how special they are to Bond. What mm-hmm. I what I think a pre-title sequence needs to do is it, you know it's got to give you a little slice of life before you get into the main story. Yeah. Like a slice of Bond's life, a different mission, mission, something's kind of slightly unrelated to the main plot that we're going to see unfold. Yeah. I think, you know, that goes all the way back to, to Goldfinger when they first kind of started establishing that, that trope. And I love that, that this film does that, that it nails that idea of what a Bond pre-title sequence should be. But I also love, I think I spoke last episode during The Living Daylights about how I 
thought they slightly mishandled the chance to reintroduce to to introduce a new bond. Oh that, yes, that, that's right. That the introduction of a bond is such an important sequence for the specific actor, mm. and I think it hits the mark there for Brosnan too. For it sure. really establishes him very very well yeah. you know, in his own time and place. You know. Live and Let Die isn't a showy one, but it establishes Roger Moore, as we discussed. Well, well, it establishes the film, I guess. Exactly. The pre-title sequence, because he's not in, in, I think. Oh, that's the only pre-title sequence. He's He's not in that one. Yeah, it establishes the film, yeah. Um, It's funny you say that with the, um, how the pre-title sequence is kind of its own um, standalone thing that doesn't relate to the plot. Because... This one, it kind of feels like that at first. You're like, yeah. oh, this this is just a standalone mission from years ago. The fact that it comes back is ago and, sweeter. And mm. that it comes back mm. is brilliant. Mm. Yeah. Um, although I will say, from thinking about them, of the first five, I think all of these pre-title sequences so far have tied into the plot in some way. Because Dr. No doesn't really have one, does it? Doctor No doesn't have one. We open on the gun barrel and then straight into the title sequence. Mm. Honor Majesties is our meeting of Tracy. Yes. um, Which which feels like like a standalone thing and then is revealed to be uh, the plot. Live and Let Die is that feeling of stand. They always in some way tie into the. Well, yeah, and I think because you and I have seen many other Bond films, these pre title sequences, in my head, Mm. I think I've said this on a previous podcast, but in my head, the pre title sequence is almost like the tail end of another mission. Yes. Um, Whereas it's Mm. funny that these, these first films for each Bond. They give the impression of being that at first, yeah. but then eventually tie into the story. Mm. It's really, it's bloody. They well still done. manage, particularly in this one, they still manage to discuss the theme and establish all of these kind of throwbacks. Well, well, they establish these elements that are going to be thrown back to and acknowledged later on in the film. You know, mm. particularly when we get to uh, you know the, the final lair and you know the, the, that whole sequence of him planting planting the bombs on the canisters and stuff again. It's, it's almost a replica of what 007, 006 did in mm. the pre-title sequence. Um, mm. it, it's, it's very, very good stuff. I, that pre-title sequence is such a joy to watch. It's really pleasurable. Yeah, it just mm. feels like, I don't know, it just feels like classic Bond. I don't know. It's, I love the way that, I think my favourite little aspect of the pre-titles is the is when he's chasing the the plane on the motorbike and the Russian general just kind of wants to see if he can do it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> he, he gives up. No, 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 wait, wait, wait. <laughs> yes. Let's watch this. <laughs> yes. Oromov, that slight, like, smirk he has where he's like, he's not going to do it. Go on, man. Yeah, yeah. You're not going to make this. Perfect. Like, the guy's dead. I think Gottfried John, who plays um, Oromov. He does a great job. Brilliant. It's great part. Brilliant. And... In any other film, would be our lead yes. Bond villain. Yeah, um, takes a bit of backseat. Yeah, it's almost a shame, actually. Mm. It is yeah. that now he doesn't about get it now. his own film because mm. he is such a fantastic presence. Yeah, that my my favourite moment. I have such giddy joy is when I see him standing hand ah. on hip <laughs> yeah. with his, his little pistol aimed towards um, Tre- Trevelyan's 006's yeah. head. 
there's something about the way he stands where I'm like, I've not seen any other Bond villain or any other Bond character stand like that. Mm. And that in and of itself, that physicality, I want to know so much more about this guy. He's kind of playing gay Hitler. Was his <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, like in a great. way, a little bit. Like there's <laughs> something so kind of held and performed and kind of weirdly seductive yeah. about that the pose. Of the it. theatricality of mm. it. That's something that we haven't really seen. And I just... Confidence. It, oh, it's brilliant. Mm. It's so brilliant. I mean, we'll talk about Oromov a little, a little more in depth later on, but mm. he's re- he's a standout. Whenever I think of Bond characters, he's one of the ones that like really pops to the front of my mind. Mm. So after that amazing pre-title sequence, mm. we jump into Daniel Kleinman's first uh, first title sequence. Wow. He gets it. That's his first one. It's his first one. Jeez. First he one. was tapped into it. Mm, he was tapped in. He's spent a lifetime watching Bond films, you can tell. He must have. Yeah. He must have. And, and I would actually say, and I know this is blasphemy, okay. and look... Maurice Binder is a legend. Different time. And what he was doing Mm. in the time that he was operating was visionary and revolutionary. I don't think Maurice Binder comes anywhere near what Daniel Kleinman does (sighs) in those title sequences. But I will acknowledge... That we don't have Daniel Kleinman without Maurice Binder. Exactly. Of course. Yeah. But the title sequence in GoldenEye is absolutely stunning. I mean, the last one we saw was The Living Daylights, which we were not much of a fan of. It was just no. I a, couple of, a couple of uh, women standing in front of a black background. That's right. And kind yeah. of... He'd lost his passion. Yeah. <laughs> but, uh, like, we're talking like this is only... What eight years on? Mm. Yeah, this is a leap. It's so vibrant. It's amazing. Mm. It feels like you've stepped into another world. Yeah, it feels like you've stepped into the mind of something else. And that's kind of what those title sequences yeah. are. Yeah, right? well, that's it's what they've like, become these days. They've yeah. become mm. this kind of mm. enter into the mind of the film or mm. the mind of Bond or whatever that is. The imagery in this. Is fantastic, isn't it? You get the silhouetted women. You've got all of this kind of Soviet stuff going on. The guns, or you know, the depth that's getting played. Mm. Ah, oh, yeah, all these Soviet statues kind of falling. The 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 silhouetted women with you know sledgehammers just kind of destroying the hammer and sickle and bringing down that wall. The yeah, it's the fall of the Soviet Union, and yet. It still has this feeling of, but we've not yet won. Yeah. Mm. It's not There's, like just because that regime has collapsed doesn't mean that all the people who were underneath it, all the agents who operated around it, yes. are not still here. It doesn't change overnight. Yes. And it communicates that, 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 that um, idea perfectly. Of, because the question hanging over Goldeneye is, is Bond still relevant? Is the Cold War relic still relevant? And it's like, absolutely he is, because even though that threat, in a greater sense, has been neutralised, 
There's still it's more all now. the people. Yes, mm. there's still all the all the organisations and people and you know that that operated underneath that. Mm. They're still there. It's not like they disappeared as soon as the regime changed. Yeah. They're all still there. What do they do now in Perestroika? Yeah. You know what it's I mean. A big old mess. It's huge. Do you think we would have Bond um, if we didn't have the Cold War? Do you think he's a product specifically of? I think Cold War? I think he definitely is. Uh, I think he definitely is. Uh, Ian Fleming served in World War Two, right? Um, so there was a um, a deep distrust of Germany and the Nazis, mm. obviously. Um, but there was also this kind of when he was writing in the fifties um, for you know when he was creating Bond, that was when the Cold War, when the the threat of communism mm. was really starting to to rise. It was kind of in every paper. It was kind of in the back of everyone's mind. The threat of nuclear war yeah. was ever present. I mean, they were teaching kids in schools yeah. what to do if a bon- bomb went off. Yeah, right. um, I don't think we have Bond without the Cold War. No. Mm. Um, so it's a pretty big question to ask. Can huge. Bond survive without outside it? of the Cold War? If this, is the, if this is the big kind of historical global conflict thing that, that, that birthed him, and, and sort of served his purpose for all of those films. Yeah. How does this character live outside of that world now? Well, yeah, that's the big question. Yeah. And I think it's a question that this film answers. Mm. And that it's like, just because that one big bad is gone, yeah. doesn't mean that there aren't other baddies... Yeah. To kind of, you know, to simplify it in yeah, a way. Yeah, yeah. It is that thing of going, this, I mean, peace is an everlasting struggle. Totally. And that's what this film kind of communicates. And it also communicates the fallout of something like the Cold War, which went for decades. Yeah. It's not like the wall came down and, and then all was forgotten and forgiven. Mm. These are deep, long-lasting scars and traumas that carry on. Mm. So it's not just Bond who remembers the Cold War. The world remembers the Cold War and is trying to move on. Mm. I mean, that's what I think is so brilliant about the title sequence in the way that it, it kind of blends that imagery. But it doesn't open up this kind of... Oh, but the world is perfect and sunny now. It's totally. still dark. Isn't there and, an oil... And, uh, uh, Digger or something. In yeah, there? there might be. There might be like a Derek or something yeah, in this. An oil Derek, yeah. Maybe, maybe there is. I can't remember. I know there definitely is in The World Is Not Enough. Oh, maybe that's what I'm mm. thinking of. They do turn into a bit of a Rorschach, uh, Rorschach test, don't they? These yes, things. they it's very like much kind of, do. What do, you, what do you see mm. hiding within the title sequence? Well, yeah, and I wonder if that's what they're alluding to because that repetitive motion of the, of the, of the, the, the girls with the um, sledgehammers going yeah. up and down and up and down, very similar to, to a the, Derek. To the motion of, a, of an oil Derek. Yeah. Mm. Um, I think this is a fantastic title sequence yeah. um, I... it's the Bond colours right it's mm. the Bond colours yeah. the gold and the red and the black like. yes perfectly married to one of 
my personal favourite title songs. Yes. It's good. Tina Turner. Tina. Sings the shit out of this. Mm. Oh. Oh my God. As soon as it starts. Dum, 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 dum. Oh, I'm on board. It gets you, doesn't it? Oh. oh my God. And written by Bono and the Edge. Oh, wow. Yeah, they heard that uh, Tina Turner was being approached to sing this, uh, to sing the theme for the new Bond theme. So they ended up uh, writing this song and they recorded a demo, which you can listen to actually on hmm. on YouTube. It's Bono, oh, Bono himself singing it. singing it in the style of Tina Turner. No it, way. It's, yeah, it's quite a... It's quite a strange uh, listen, actually. But uh, they they bloody nailed this. Yeah. This is probably... I would say this is a top ten Bond theme Mm. for me. Mm. I think it just nails that feel. Yeah, Mm. and that original sound, too. Like, I mean, there's some big notes that she gets to there in the end. And, like, there's echoes of Bassey. Yeah. You know? There are. Like, it's still connected you know, to those original hits too. Yeah. And and the kind of dark brooding lyrics yeah. of this thing. Ominous lyrics. You know, Watchful. See him move through smoke and mirror. Yeah. Feel his essence, presence in the crowd. Like, like it's just what? like, oh my God. It's espionage. It spy. is. It is. Spy shit. Oh, spy shit. Spy shit. <laughs> <laughs> it's what you need. It is exactly what we need. Nobody does it better. Particularly after... (laughs) (laughs) Particularly after the last theme that we've heard, which is The Living Daylights, which was such a bloody letdown. Musically, I think John Barry, like I said last time, he really... It's a great theme musically, but AHA's rendition of it is just... (sighs) Yuck! Uh, you can. I'll leave. It's that just on a, It was just a non-event. Yes. You know? Yeah. Like didn't even turn up. Very forgettable. Whereas this Tina knocks the socks off it. Oh my god! Yes. Welcome back. If this James. ever comes up on on my shuffle when I'm you know listening to music at the gym or you know on my commute in the morning, I never skip this song. Oh no! Because I'm up. always in the mood as soon as I hear, like you say that. Dum, 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 dum. Oh, oh my God. <laughs> you're there. You're there. It's a great title sequence. Need we say more? Not at all. I don't think so. It speaks for itself. I suppose we should move on then to the plot. <laughs> the plot of the film. How do you go with the plot I, of this film? I love the double agent. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, as, a, as a device, as a, as a plot point. I think I was... It was pretty unanimous, I think, last week when we were sort of talking about the... We got a little bit overcrowded, I think, with the villains. And there was a few twists and turns and, you know, things like that. I I didn't feel this was overcrowded. I didn't feel like there was too much to keep track of. Um, Which is funny because there are so many players on the bad guy's side. There's a lot. There There is a thing there are too many players. There are. You reckon? Do you Mm. think there's too many? A little bit. Yeah. More than. More than. Who do you think? Who do you think is? Tell us now. Yes. (laughs) Right now on the spot. Go. Uh, (laughs) Well, Urimov serves his function. Yeah. But he doesn't really have much to do. Oh, do you think? For the grander plot. Well, he's the inside man. 
he's the inside man, I guess. Yeah. But you get the, the sense that Alec would have kind of gotten to the point he needed to regardless. Is he... How is Urumov killed? Is he dispatched? Uh, Urumov is killed on the train when Bond uh, jumps down with the... the um, Yes, that's right, that's right. And as Zenya and Alec escape, he shoots Uramov because Uramov's got... um, Folks, I just saw this film. (laughs) (laughs) And I can't remember how one of the main bad guys is killed. I love Uramov and I agree that he potentially could be a greater villain. But if if we're thinking about, yeah, just trimming down the plot to what is needed to convey the story, maybe he's not so much needed. Or maybe he's not needed as as long as he is long included as in the film. Maybe perhaps. Mm. that's an interesting point. Mm. But the uh, I, I because I I don't find he overstays his welcome. No, he doesn't. I find he services enough. I'm not kind of. Th- that's my thing with this film is I'm never watching someone going. Why are they here? Mm. Why am I listening to this person? True. No, I don't. Do you think know what I, I mean? That either. I mean, no. Urimov, not to take his side, but he's betrayed as well, in a sense, right? Yes. Like, he's played yeah. by Alec. Yeah. Yeah. Who He doesn't know that, that Trevelyan is a Lian's Cossack. Yeah. Um, so which he's would be a huge thing to a Soviet Union, um, you know, to a, well, he's Russian, but a Soviet Union, a former Soviet Union uh, general. C- colonel who was then made general. Yeah. Yeah, yeah that would be huge. Why did they want the golden eye? Why did who want the golden eye? Alec. Alec wanted the Well, eye. so the golden eye <laughs> the golden eye satellite uh, sends out a powerful electromagnetic pulse which disables anything any kind of electronic or electric uh, device that it kind of comes in mm-hmm. uh, contact with. So for him his plan is to take all the money out of the Bank of England, Aha. then put the Golden oh, Eye satellite onto London, mm. and then that destroys all the evidence. The yes. traces are gone that he's taken all that money, so all the money is gone, and he kind of retires a rich man. A very rich man, like and Bonson. gets revenge on the country whom he that's thinks pretty good. has betrayed. Yeah, that's right. I like that. I like his plot. I love it too. I and think he's I, a good villain. I, I, it, it has uh, ties back to some of the best Bond films, like Goldfinger. Mm, right. Goldfinger, I mean, there's a, there, there are kind of conversations happening between Goldeneye and Goldfinger. I think that's another element that makes this one of the classics for me. Mm. I mean, the plot is essentially... Revenge and greed. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. Two, Two big, primal, huge primal motivators. Villain. Primal yeah. motivators. Yeah. Absolutely. Villains are driven by those things. Simple, but primal. Yeah. And I think we kind of understand that. Mm. You can follow along with whatever it wants to throw at you because you're kind of connected to that core yes. idea. Alex really played the long game, though, don't you think? <laughs> Bloody hell yeah. Going through the whole thing of becoming nine a Nine years. <laughs> nine years. It's a lot of years Double in the world. I'm going to set this up. I'm going to set this no, up. No, I don't know if necessarily he, he knew it from the very start, did he? That he was going to take revenge. I don't think he knew exactly that he was going to He probably didn't know he was going to take the golden eye. No, no, no. But I think but him faking had... his own death is enough to be like... In the future, like, I'll fake my own death so they think that I'm gone, but I know the inner workings of this organisation... He 
creates this Yanis persona, which becomes his Yanis organization, mm. which allows him to recruit lovely, a whole lot of henchmen at the end, because everyone in that bloody satellite at the end must work for the... They must be on the Yanis like, sure. payroll, because there's a lot of people in there's there. A lot of henchmen. There's computer, there's computer nerds, there is some gunmen, I don't know why he wants heavy to security. He's got to steal more heads, money yeah. back to pay off the debt. There's just ridiculous amounts of debt paying for the lair. It's an investment. I need these people. <laughs> I need these people so I can pay these people. <laughs> Trust me, you will get your pay. I, it it's all makes coming. sense. <laughs> As Zukovsky says, the free market will be the death of <laughs> I love that line. Oh, what happened to Robbie Coltrane? Well, he kind of serves the, the purpose. I mean, we'll get to him as yeah. we, we kind of go on, but he mm. kind of, you know, he's a former enemy of Bond um, mm. from a mission we haven't seen who kind of Bond calls on and he is, is like, just we have a mutual living. enemy. He's the guy from Living Day. It, it's very, yeah, you kind of, we've talked about this mm. in Living Daylights, but you go, God, it'd be interesting if that was Pushkin. Mm. Be really interesting if it was Pushkin. Although I would also say that Mishkin, the defense minister oh, yes. in this, um, who gets killed by Oromov during the interrogation yes. um, just before Bond gets into the tank, that would be an interesting cameo for Pushkin as well. Yeah, that he but would if live there in was, that, the defense ministry. Yeah, if there up. was that kind of carryover where it's like, ah, oh, hello, old. Old buddy, you know, yeah, that kind yeah. of thing. Although I think the actor who I, I don't know his name, but the actor who plays Mishkin, I think he's fantastic. Really great part. You the, know, one part of the plot that I really enjoyed too, it was a little thematic thread there of discussing like Bond's dilemma about should I be loyal to the mission or should I be loyal to my friends? Mm, you know, yes. and that debate of people get hurt in this line of work. And, you know, Alex even has that little nod of... of Oh, doesn't all the martinis kind of drown out the screams of all the men you killed? And you know, just these little, little deeper dives, just little, you know, just a little duck dive down into a deeper character. Without it getting bogged down. No, let's not sit down on, on the psychologist's couch and unpack everything. Let's yeah. not, you know, pull apart Bond or anything. But it. But it's investigating nice little, the, the 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 character. Yeah. A little bit deeper. It's a nice little thematic thread there of like. Do I, because it, it was established there in the opening sequence with, with, with Alec and the Russians, you know, and then it, come, and it came back with, with um, oh my goodness, what's her name? The computer programmer. Natalia Simonova. Natalia, you know, who, who are you going to choose? How do you cope? Yeah. Stay loyal to the mission and completely disregard these, these allies and friends and lovers and people you meet along the way? Or what, well, where do you give in? Yeah, her her line of, you know, how can you be so cold? Yeah, right. It's what keeps me alive. Yeah. Brilliant. No, it's what keeps you alone. <sighs> like, it's just great. It's it's enough of a dive. Did you write that? Into- <laughs> <laughs> I wish, Bruce Feirstein. Yeah, um, it, it's enough of a dive into, into the psyche of Bond, yeah. which I don't think we've really had in the franchise up until now. Right. But it's also probably as far into the psyche as I think you need to go. I think Casino Royale does a very similar thing where yeah. it kind of explores 
but what if? Yeah. And then I think we get a little bogged down once we start to get into spectre territory. I agree. Where we start to be like, oh, what makes him It's like the plot emerges from the psychoanalysis. Yeah, unresolved childhood trauma and all this, you know, rah, rah, rah. We don't need... It starts to complicate... You certainly don't need a whole film about that. Absolutely not. Absolutely not. And I, one one of the the great things of this of this film is the introduction of M. Judy mm. Dench oh. as money uh, as M. Um, she only really got one major scene. She got one major scene, maybe two if you count that um, the briefing room kind of control room thing as mm. a separate scene. Gee, she's established well. Oh my god, she's that's such a clear so relationship, well. and it's such a good subversion of the Bond M relationship because I think the Bond M relationship should be somewhat adversarial mm. because it's you know superior and She's subordinate totally, yeah totally. Um, a very capable subordinate but what I love about this is it's the introduction of a new M mm. so Bond has to get used to a new boss and the new boss is also a lady mm. and so what that does to Bond's kind of uh, psyche, almost. Mm. It's that thing of going, all right, I have to respond to... uh, I have to, you know, take orders from a woman. Yeah. All right. (laughs) New century, I suppose. You know, it's that that kind of ushering in of a new era. And I think they handle it so well in that scene between Bond and M because they don't make Bond the whipping boy. No. He still holds his own, mm. but is still there's still M is still able to kind of communicate to him. The world is moving on, Bond, mm. and if you're going to be an efficient agent, you need to move on with it, without it being too over the top, too hit you over the head with you know political messaging. Yep. There's still <clears throat> conflict between the characters. Totally. And as he leaves that room, she still has the line of, come back alive. Yeah, mm. she cares. She cares because she would have seen his case files. That's He's a bloody capable agent, probably the best agent they have. Yeah. No one's killed 007. I think every other 00's been killed off. They haven't had 007. films made about <laughs> Exactly. 007 has. Uh, the, the plot of this film, I think, is simple enough. Um, it's it's complex enough and yet simple enough to follow. That seems to be a reoccurring thing. I was thinking about this today of trying to find the right balance of of, of, a, of a Bond villain plot or something like that. It's like as long as as long as we know who the bad guys are, and that we believe enough in and we're invested enough, we can take that um, that leap with the villain of like, yep. I can I can go along with this, then we're fine. Yeah, and 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 I do like that they've what they've done with this is that it's a slightly sympathetic villain plot. Mm. I mean, mm. it's a complicatedly sympathetic villain's plot, though. You know, his parents were Lian's Cossack who worked with the Nazis against the Soviet Union. So two of the enemies that Fleming and and Bond would have you know not had much sympathy for. Mm. Um, they ended up defecting to the UK and the UK kind of sold them out and left them to die. So Trevelyan was orphaned 
at the hands of the British government and then went on to work for that British government. So it makes sense that he would want to take them down. There's this kind of complicated thing of where does the audience's loyalty lie? We can't completely write Trevelyan off as being, um, oh, well, he's just a bad guy who wants to control the world. Mm. We kind of go, I can understand that. I can understand why you'd be angry at them. But Bond himself kind of goes, well, you know, what are you going to do? Like, Mm -hmm. you knew the job that you were signing up for Mm -hmm. and war's a complicated business. Do you think that this is the first major villain we see with that level of depth in their backstory and sympathy or potential for sympathy? I, I, I think so. I think For Your Eyes Only kind of touches on it. Right. A little bit. Um, I think the villains that we've seen so far have been the the real kind of, you know, let's take over the world kind of thing, and we don't really learn too much about why they're doing it. Yeah, yeah. They kind of, uh, to an extent, are two-dimensional yeah. in, the, in that regard. I, I, I would say that without Goldeneye and without the establishment of Trevelyan, we don't have Raul Silver. Right. In Skyfall, okay. I think Trevelyan is a uh, is a kind of link to Silver, former that. former MI six agent, mm. betrayed by the agency, mm. left for dead, seeks revenge. Right. I think there's a there's a there's a bit of a tie there, and I think that kind is another thing that that pushes this up for me. I'm like the personal stakes of the villain are just as interesting to me mm. as the personal stakes uh, are for Bond. Mm. Yeah. I, I think we've covered the plot pretty concisely. I think so. The locations in this film. Yes. Do they stand out to you or do they blend together? They blend, I think, a little bit, but only because they support the film so well. Yeah. Again, I think it's. I think we had a similar conversation. Yeah, I remember you talking about this. So, yeah, I think I spoke about something similar. Where I'm not super aware of the 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 physical locations because I'm not interested in it. And you said something very similar, not to jump ahead too, but uh, about stunts as well. But mm. what you weren't there was one particular film. Maybe it was Living Daylights too, where you weren't too drawn to the stunts because oh, when's the when's the action sequence? No, exactly. it was informed by the narrative. It was threaded through. That was Living Daylights. Living yeah. Daylights. Yeah, and this has a similar kind the of thing. And what I found that the locations did the best uh, was coloring our story. Right. That was kind of how they were really utilized in this film. I think Martin Campbell has a real eye of a production designer slash. I don't know if he has a lot of experience in ads, but he strikes me as an ad director. Mm. You know, he understands that, as I said before, the mise-en-scene of, of an entire shot of a, of a scene, of, of an idea, and he knows that, you know, like the, the climax with the lush tropics, there's a certain sensibility that evokes. You know, yeah. you can't quite define it or put your finger on it, but it's Bond. You know, the, the Caribbean tropic, why that is... It, the perfect backdrop for our cradle, our satellite dish, who knows, yeah. but it is, yeah. you know, because it needs to be a, a lair, like a vulca has to have the volcanic kind of element to it. Do you know, for am sure. I making sense? For sure. I mean, it, yeah. 100%, yeah. Yeah, it's, it's that sort of, 
yeah, I couldn't I couldn't tell you the countries we visited, but they were perfect. Whatever they were, they yeah. were perfect. I I I'm a bit the same. I mm. know we go to Russia. Mm. I know we have a bit in London at MI6. I mean, it's all clearly Pinewood. We don't spend any time actually in London. Mm. Um, Where else do we go in this film? These locations for me are iconic. Mm. Really? Yep. Absolutely. I can't pronounce most of them. The, the northern central Russian place where the it's dishes. very Russia, isn't it? It's mostly set in like Severnaya and that Moscow place. and Saint Petersburg. Uh, Saint Petersburg. Petersburg. Uh, it's Saint Petersburg, not yeah. Moscow. So yeah. thank you, Monaco. Thank you, thank you very much. The fact Monaco. that we're in Monaco and Monaco, oh, yes, man. of course. The weaving, the weaving through the streets, those rocky, that rocky road past the cyclists, oh, and then to have Monaco revealed to us there, just on dusk, and the lights sort of coming up, and then we're into the casino. It's like this is where Bond lives. Mm-hmm. Yes. Mm-hmm. That massive facility in northern central Russia with the massive dish. Again, I'm sorry, I'm tainted by the game, but that place is a kind of mecca <laughs> for me. That's. One of the best Bond locations. Oh, yes. Ever. That satellite dish is... That's top ten. It, mm. Yeah, it's a great facility. It's, it's a great so facility. It's so fucking iconic. Look, the fact that, you know, he, we get a bit of urban Bond through... And he totally destroys St. Petersburg in the tank. <laughs> in the tank. Oh, my gosh. Great that's chasing. That's great chasing. And the fact that we end in the Caribbean again. Mm. There's, there's a magnet. There's a magnet there for Bond. There's something yeah, there drawing is. him back to the Caribbean. It's where he began, and it's where he's going in No Time to Die. It, it, yes, it absolutely is. Mm. It's funny, though, because when you were naming all of those locations, I went, oh, yes, of course. Oh, yes, and that, mm. and Monaco, and this, and that, and this, and that. But I had this weird moment as, we, as I was... Before you said that, I was like, where, where is this film... Where does it take place? And all I could think of was Russia. Right. That's all I could think of. Yeah. Which is not a... It's not a detractor for me. But this film is not the one I think of when I go, oh, all the beautiful locations in Mm. this. I think it does go to some stunning locations. That stuff in Monaco is Mm. fantastic. Just uses the locations. yeah, Yeah, again, like the Living Daylights. Although the Living Daylights, I think the locations in that kind of stand out a little clearer for me. For sure. Um, I don't think it's as postcard as Bond has been. It's not. It's not. And no offence... To our Russian listeners. Mm. But when I think of Russia, I don't necessarily think of picturesque. I would gladly be proven wrong. No. Oh, well, I think if you think of Soviet Russia, you definitely it's don't bleak, think of it's pis- cold, picturesque. It's, no, it's not a postcard, uh, travel log kind of Bond location. I will say I've seen, I've seen some photography of, um, you know, the Russian kind of wilderness. And I think that that is particularly stunning. Yeah. I've never seen it in a Bond film, mm. but I have seen it on well, Reddit. Maybe he's got to go <laughs> One thing uh, about locations that I love, you say we don't go to London, but I love the fact that we see MI6 headquarters. Yes. So this is kind of a conflicted point for me. Right. Okay. Because I'm not, this is the first time that we see MI6 headquarters as they are in real life. 
Before this, MI6 operates covertly as universal exports. Ah. So we have the kind of the leather door in M's office and the kind of, it feels like a, um, an old school office within a, a kind of small space. Yeah. Whereas in this film, we see MI6 as it really is in the real world. And we get a very modern feel to M's office, to the situation room, to Q's um, lab, lab yeah. um, to Money Penny's little office. It, it, it's very different. It is a. It's the first time that everything gets kind of shaken up, right. and it's shaken up like this until the end of Skyfall. Mm. At the end of Skyfall, when we go it's to uh, we see MI6 <clears throat> rebuilding. And we are in Mallory's office where we go back to the classic leather door. It's the old school M. Mm. I think I prefer personally the old school MI6. Mm-hmm. I think there's an element to it which, which I respond to much more. That said, they probably needed to update it. Mm-hmm. They, they probably did by this point. Mm. It couldn't look like the stuffy old... No. Um, 60s place because in the 90s that probably wasn't very on trend true yeah mm. um, they were also matching with the casting of, of Judy Dench's M the um, the real life um, placement of Stella Remington as the real life head of MI6 oh really so they were responding to the fact that MI6 had its first ever female head mm. uh, appointed in I think fact check <laughs> uh, I think I think 1991. Wow. Could be 91. From memory. This is all from memory. Yeah. I mean, you speaking just now, I do really like the idea of MI6 operating in the shadows. That's what I love. I love the universal universal exports element. Mm. It's like, this is all... I didn't know we had choice. Under the rug. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's not very clear in the opening films that we've seen. I guess Mm. that's me coming in Mm. as... um, you know, old school Bond well, fan that's mm. seen seen all of them kind of tied together, mm. um, which we're starting to get into now. Like we've we've seen every Bond in the original twenty. Yeah. Now, um, yeah. What, what 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 do you both think? I mean, we should probably get into it because we've touched on it so much. We have brand new MI6 regulars, apart from Q. Apart from Q. I think. Let's start in the order in which they are introduced. Okay. Transmission received from Moneypenny. What do you think of Samantha Bond as Moneypenny? I think she completely nailed it as Moneypenny. I think she... Yep, I'm with her. I'm keen to see her in the next Prosnan films based on this one. She understands the history of the character. She understands what Moneypenny needs to represent for Bond. She nails it. Yeah, yep. That restraint, that, yep. that she's a the upper hand uh, always, yeah, always got the it's upper fantastic. hand. Fantastic! Well, mm. well, you never had me, mm. you know, mm. all of that. Mm. Oh, brilliant, so brilliant. good. She captures the um, the essence of Lois Maxwell without doing an impersonation of her. Yeah, yeah. Mm. Whereas um, uh, Carolyn Bliss, who plays Donnie Penny in Living Daylights, yeah. and a quick scene in License to Kill. I don't think she captures that essence. I don't think it feels like the same 
character. It feels like a very different person uh, being assigned the name Moneypenny. Whereas Samantha Bond feels like the heir to Lois Maxwell's throne. Mm-hmm. Yeah. She really does. Yeah. I think she's got a great voice. Yeah. She's got a great delivery. Yeah. Is she first... Is Money Penny introduced to us through the car first? Do we hear through her the transmission? First, yes. Her first line as Money it, Money Penny is, transmission begins from Money Penny. Yeah. Mm. Great. I think it's fantastic. You never get the sense that this is her first Bond film. No. No, she steps no. in perfectly. Similar yeah. to Pierce, they both feel well established. Mm. Yeah. Uh, I think our next person we are introduced to from MI6 is someone who we haven't seen for quite a few films. Tanner? Is Bill Tanner. Mm, I like Tanner. When did we first meet Bill Tanner? Now this is a good question because I'm trying to think when we first meet Bill Tanner in the Bond series. Because I'll be honest, he's an MI6 regular that up until very recently, and my memory's very good, (laughs) uh, I didn't even know existed. Mm. I, I first realised he existed in the Craig films. Right. And have started to see him in the older ones. Right. Craig yeah. is when I first took notice. was like, oh, Tanner, this guy's interesting. He's very and then I'm delighted to learn that he's got a history. Oh, great. I know that he's definitely in For Your Eyes Only. Oh. Because he kind of fills the, the M role in For Your Eyes Only. Really? Yeah, because um, Bernard Lee had passed away after Moonraker. Yep. And they didn't want to go, okay, let's just get a new M. So they kind of took the Bill Tanner role and put him into that, which makes me think that Bill Tanner... (sighs) Makes me think that Bill Tanner was in Moonraker. But I've got to say, it's actually... That would be the, the character that I'm least familiar with in the kind of earlier films. Right, right. Whenever I think of Bill Tanner, I think of this actor, whom, whose name I think is Michael Kitchener. I think it's Michael Kitchener. No, Michael Kitchener's... No, the, Michael Kitchener you, you is... You know who Judy. you're stealing from? From Dark Knight. Oh, is it? Isn't that Michael Kitchener? No. Is that Michael Kitchener? I, I don't have any idea who you're stealing from. Armageddon, Dark Knight. I, no. I think Michael... His Ki- last name's Kitchener. Maybe it is. Well, whoever this guy's name is, no. I, I always... <laughs> you don't know what you're talking about. I always think of... No, he's um, William Fitchner. Oh, yeah, no, you're right. Oh, is it? I'm pretty sure. Yeah, yeah. yeah you're just, you just have a bad memory. <laughs> I think it actually might be Michael Kitchen. Right. Kitchen mm, okay. is his name. And I only know that because I just Googled it. <laughs> <laughs> it. It is. It's Michael Kitchen. Michael Kitchen plays Bill Tanner in this right. film. Um, does Bill Tanner appear in the novels? Yes, he does. Right. Quite, okay. So he's a not bit. a movie invention. He's not a movie invention. He's in the novels quite a bit. Right. And what's, he, what's he, his position? He is M's chief of staff. Oh. Whipping boy. Yeah. <laughs> well, second in command. Do I see? Really, yeah. Okay. Bond, this guy outranks Bond. Jeez. Um, but I think he, he knows that Bond is so capable that he sometimes, um, what would you say, he kind of supplements himself, what, what's, what, you know, yeah. prostrate, prostrates him, prostrate, <laughs> not prostrates himself to Bond. I don't know what the word I'm going for is. Well, fact check, fact yeah. check that word. You get that. No one can ever fact check. No one can yes. understand your brain. No one can be the suppository of all wisdom. <laughs> <laughs> 
Because in this, in, in Goldeneye, Tanner really feels like a bit of a buddy to Bond, don't you think? When they're in he the, does, When yeah. they're in that room there and they're kind of... Uh, the, the old the old battle axe you know, yeah. <laughs> yeah. the new one the evil queen of numbers yeah that's the only she oh, 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 <laughs> which is a great moment because oh. we've all been either Bill Tanner in mm. that situation and we've all been Bond oh, in that yeah, situation yeah. of saying Stop, something gosh. when someone is in the room <laughs> yeah. and you're like oh fuck <laughs> Fuck, I wish I hadn't have done that. God, she's behind me, isn't she? <laughs> yes. I didn't even she's mean behind it. behind me, isn't she? <laughs> I am very glad they didn't pull that line. Because in a Roger Moore film, I think they would have done that. She's behind me, isn't she? <laughs> I th- I would have been two on the nose. I, I think he's great. I think he's, he's definitely an iconic uh, Bill Tanner for me. Him and Rory Kinnear are the two that stand out. Because I know that Bill Tanner has appeared in earlier films. For sure in For Your Eyes Only. I don't know about the others. But I don't remember them. Mm. Whereas I do remember Michael Kitchen. And I do remember Rory Kinnear in the Craig films. Right. You know what I mean? Mm. Maybe they're the only ones where he's referenced by name. No, I know he's referenced by name before that. Because I, I've definitely heard more say Tanner... Right. I've definitely heard him. I, I hear that last name in Roger Moore's voice. Mm. You know what I mean? Mm. Then we go on to the introduction of, my God, an absolute legend of the franchise, Dame Judy Dench. Well, we've th- spoken a bit about it. I think you said this uh, in an earlier podcast. Mm. She's your M. Mm. She's my M. Is you she can your bet M? she's my M. She's your M, yeah, ladies and gentlemen. She is M. She she's is. M. I mean, this is a debut. Does not feel like it. They're even making a point of introducing her as a new M in the film. And yeah. you just kind of go, yeah, but she's, she's definitely the boss. You really get the sense that she's kind of, like, climbed that ladder. like, And yes. fought her way to the top of, like... I'm running things now. She got through a male-dominated yeah, ladder. She broke the glass ceiling. You really get that feeling with yeah. her, and, and without she that, it. She without knows that her stuff. being made a point of. Exactly. It's kind of no just explicit. kind of like look at this extraordinarily capable yeah. woman. No, no, no line or scene about you. You have no idea what I had to go through to get here. You, you know what yes. I've done and not how playing I, how, the victim. How hard I've worked. Yeah. It's like no. This is her office. Yep. She's running things. Yep. She's in charge. Yeah. Even the, the jibes of the evil queen of numbers or Bond even picking yeah. up on that and going, well, numbers were never my strong suit. Yeah. She brushes that off. Yep. And I love, I love her, her scene with Bond where she's it's like, so you don't like me, Bond. Yeah. You don't like my methods. Yeah. Like, she's it's... so still in that scene. She's got her head oh. resting up against the, the chair there and she just locks eyes with him. She's such a brilliant actor. Yeah, bourbon in hand. Yeah. And just dressing down Bond. Oh. In, in, in a way that kind of goes, I'm your new boss. Yep. And I'm not just demanding respect from you. Yep. I'm proving to you why I'm deserving of it. Exactly. And also, Bond, don't bloody die out there. Yeah. Because she has a heart. Because, yes, yes. 
It's it's brilliant. It's brilliant writing. It is fantastically directed that scene. Yeah. And it's fantastically superbly acted. Yeah. And Judy Dench has some of the most entrancing eyes. Oh my I've god. Ever seen. They reminded me of Elizabeth Taylor's eyes. Wow, yeah. Watching her on screen. I was like, are they blue or are they purple? What I feel like she kind of looks like she's kind of got that cataract blindness. <laughs> really? <laughs> Why do you say she's that? She's aging out of it. a little bit. <laughs> just the colour, just the certain colour. They're kind of like an opaque blue. Well, funny you say that because Judy Dench apparently uh, does have cataracts. There you go. Yeah, right. And that her her eyesight has has started to go. I've heard this. Um, on the grapevine, probably through the internet, might not be very reliable. Right. That's not what jumps out to me, but I have heard that she, um, her, her vision has been going. So maybe you're seeing something that the doctors didn't see for years in the 90s. <laughs> <laughs> Perhaps Judy should have given you a call. Yeah, well, um, but I think, that I think they are extraordinary eyes. They are very well lit eyes. Very well lit eyes and uh, maybe even superior to Bond's deep blue eyes mm. in this. My God, Pierce Brosnan's eyes are... They are piercing. Piercing. Piercing brosnan <laughs> <laughs> We then move on to our Gadget Master Q. Yeah, Great scene Q scene. In, oh. in a lot of films. Fantastic Q scene. I just smile as soon as I see him. Mm. And I'm just really going to miss him. Skiing yeah. accident? Hunting! <laughs> <laughs> love it, love it, love it. <laughs> Very good. And the mannequin cops it. The mannequin cops it. We need this. You need it. You need it. It's a classic QC. So scene. good. Put I, that down. Not much That's panic. my lunch. <laughs> that is my favourite. Because we're building up. This is the 17th film. Yeah. And by that point, everything that Bond... Like, we haven't seen it in our viewings because we've only seen the first. But leading up to this, in all the Q scenes that we've had with particularly with Roger and Q, you know, Bond is just touching everything. And then we get Q, uh, Brosnan's Bond kind of touching everything. And so that moment at the end of the scene where he's picked up the bloody sub and is kind of examining it like, all right, what's, what's this, this one then? He's like, don't touch that! And we think, oh, what is it? Is it a bomb? <laughs> It's my lunch. <laughs> it's a great out. It's a great subversion. Yeah. It's how you subvert, I think, the Bond formula with, but still stay true to it. Yeah. Got to say, I don't really like the blue BMW. The yeah. Z3. Mm, not I a huge believe thing. it's the Z3. This will be another fact check. <laughs> it's our second vehicle fact check. I, I will say this. The vehicles, I'm not as around i'm not a car head Person. i'm not a rev head yeah i know the classics i think this is the bmw z3 right. it looks like one i believe you are a bit of a rev head aren't you you're a formula yeah. one fan so you bit. you know your cars you know your cars some i would say you probably well, i know who, who i know would be the bigger car head out of the two of you well this is a whole other episode so, yeah. well let's nah. get into it now i know who a more modern i know a more modern looking z3 and oh, it, okay. it, it looks like the same shape. So if the Z3 is an old recurring model, yeah. then yes, it's the Z3. Because I know I like it a different sort of shape, but similar size and capacity. Oh, okay. Yeah, yeah. What do you think it is? Is it a Z3? I have no idea. Oh, I think Darby's our rev head. <laughs> 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 uh, 
Um, you're not a fan of it. Do you think it should uh, have been the Aston Martin? Um, we saw the Aston Martin at the very beginning. For the first time. Yes. Since 1965. I can't believe that. Thunderball. Are you serious? Yep. Thunderball was the last time. Why is that car so iconic? Well, what films has it been in? Goldfinger Three. was its first appearance. Right. Thunderball was its second. I think that the the thing. But Goldfinger was such an iconic film. Right. It left such an indelible mark on cinema history. Right. That I think bringing that in was like a <gasps> recapture the moment. Mm. I I think that Bond should have a car from its era. Mm-hmm. I, so I'm not disgruntled that they included it, like the Z3. Mm-hmm. It's just why that one? Like I know why that one because they had a partnership with BMW. BMW. Yeah. That's right. Kaching. Kaching. I did the money. <laughs> yeah. I rubbed my uh, thumb and my two four. This, is, this is this is the one that BMW wanted to push, and they wanted to push it in this shade of blue. Why Be- that color? Because it's the color that they selected, and that's kind of the truth. And we can't look at it any more way than that. But, uh, if just someone hot. said, "Here's a BMW Z3," would you? I'd give it to my mum. You'd give yeah. it to your mum. You wouldn't drive it around. <laughs> it's a girl's car. It's a girl's car. <laughs> it does look oh like my a girl's god! Car, it's relic of the Cold War. <laughs> <laughs> Sexist, misogynist, sorry. dinosaur. A sky, a sky blue BMW coupe. I drive the shit out of it. Car. I drive the shit out of it. And I was thinking that when I was watching the film. I was like, Yep, if you gave me that, I bet you I can buy you'd it. You drive a convertible around. Yeah, five thousand. You dr- you drive easy. a convertible. Easy. You would it's a bond a, car. I will feel say, a little bit self-conscious driving nah, a convertible. It's a bond car. <laughs> it's a bond car. A <laughs> oh, sky blue convertible. Yep. Uh, blue's my colour. You'd never go top down. <laughs> blue's my colour. You'd never go top down. Nah, ever. blue's my colour. Always go top down. Always go top down. <laughs> it's, yeah. it's a convertible. Yeah. I will say Jack. Free air conditioning. Jack. Jack Wade, yes. He he makes it look like a lot of fun. He, he revs the back out of it yes, there at the end. He does. Yes, like, he does. Yes, he does. I'm just going to go bombing around <laughs> in it. Yeah. He makes it look like a little bit of a, a little bit of fun, that. Well, speaking about a little bit of fun, <laughs> uh, the stunts in this film. Mate. Not bad. Good stunts. <laughs> Good Crazy stunts. stunts. Yeah, not bad. I mean, I would love to meet the man that jumped off the dam. So would I. I want to hear... I want to hear that perspective. How does that feel? I wonder how high that was. Oh, it's a fair way up. It I'll looks give you that. Massive. I mean, there's. Look, I don't think the stunts really stood out to me as much as they did in even in the living. Well, daylight. it's kind of it's. There's a lot of kind of solid basic stunt work. Yeah, there's a lot you've of got solid. The, uh, you've got the the bungee jump. You've got the tank chase. And you've got a lot of hand-to-hand combat. Plenty of good dirty. Oh, my God. A lot of running, a lot of jumping. Look, I'm going to single this out. The hand-to-hand combat between Bond and Trevelyan at the end there. Mm. Jason Bourne, eat your fucking heart out. Yeah, for sure. Like, when people kind of go, oh, Bond's just copying. Particularly they say this about Casino Royale and, and Quantum. They go, oh, well... The Bond we'll films just are, just, are just copying the Bourne films. It's like, well, look, there might be a little bit of that feeding into the zeitgeist that they're kind of within. Mm. But this, those fight scenes, that hand-to-hand combat scene at the end of GoldenEye, 
That's a precursor to Bourne. Yeah. It goes all the way. I mean, we saw it as early as The Living Daylights. For yes, sure. in the kitchen yeah. between the, the, the MI6 agent yeah, and Necros. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely, yeah. The it, fight it, that Brosnan has on the boat with the hand towel mm. and, yes. and rolls the guy down the steps, you know? Like, this is only six years before Bourne. Yes, yeah, very much so. It's yeah. that scrappy modern fighting of like using the environment, you know? Mm. It's like, I mean, the, the, the example in Bourne is I think there's a great fight scene where he's using like a rolled up piece of paper or a magazine or something yeah, like yeah. that, you know? But, you know, Bond's got the hand towel and he's, you know, twisting mm. the gun up and choking out the guy and yeah. things like that. Whips him down the stairs. Whips him down the stairs. Yeah. Or, you know, the kitchen scene in, in The Living Daylights with the with the pot and mm. it's like, what's around me to throw at the person to, mm. you know, it's 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 less stagey, it's more yeah, scrappy it and wasn't in, instant. It wasn't invented by Bourne. I think yeah. Bourne did it very well. I, think that, I, yeah. I don't think you can take that away from them. But it definitely wasn't invented by them. And I don't no. think... I think the Bond films get very unfairly accused of kind of ripping off a lot of the time. When you kind of look at them and you go, on, yeah, but didn't it. they invent the bloody genre to begin with? Mm. You know what I mean? Yeah, we've already established that they're pretty... Innovative. They, innovative, but they're also, you know, they fall into the times that they're in, yeah. the, the context. They, they feed off what's around them. That's, yeah, that's yeah they, 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 there's that kind of call and response of they yeah. feed off what's happening. But they're the permanent and then, they, and then they create a new thing exactly. to happen further on. Yeah. Um, we, we, we have touched on the vehicles. Uh, the, the only <laughs> vehicles that really jump to mind for me in this are the BMW Z3, if yeah. that's what it is, uh, which you are both not a fan of. No. no. Not a fan of? You wouldn't drive it. If someone said, here's the keys, it's yours. Would you drive it around? You'd give it to your mum, Darby. I'd what would it, you do? I'd, I'd take give it, it out. some. Yeah, I, I'd take it out to Eastern Creek. Just make sure Creek. no one's looking. I'd take it out to Eastern Creek and, and give it a hot lap around the racetrack. You wouldn't drive it around? <laughs> it's the street. God, you have, you have very... Uh, <laughs> Discerning taste. No, I'd, I'd like to see what's under the hood, but I don't. I wouldn't. I don't. Know. A BMW no. engine. Is that not enough? No. no I'd, I'd, I'd like to give it some on the track, it, but I, I don't think. I'm I'd... sure it'd handle fine. Yeah. <laughs> it's enough for me. Not a driver around car. <laughs> nah, nah. Uh, the the other vehicle that jumps to mind for me is the tank. Yes. I don't, I don't know what kind of tank it is, but it's fucking awesome it's huge it's huge gets through any wall oh mate and it's beautiful and oh. Brosnan looks like a boss he really drove the hell out of that oh. like, the wind through the and the dust oh. and, shit. and then the little fun. the little tie straighten that mm. he does in oh, that that is that's Brosnan's bond for me I just kind of go yep he's constantly kind of checking in am I put together yeah, great. Let's keep going. <laughs> but he's still got that look in his eye. He's focused. Whenever we cut to his eyes during that entire sequence, he is laser focused. Yeah. And I noticed that too when he is... Which Connery has as well. Yeah, I right. I noticed that when he was on the boat, getting on that little... the the little uh, runaround boat off the off the big motor yacht there just before oh, he yes. makes his way to the chopper display. Yeah. Where it's like he's just dispatched the guy on, on the yacht, getting in the little dinghy powers it up and it's like you know it's it's no it's not um indulgent we're not seeing you know shot of the steering wheel shot of the gear stick shot of the engine starting up shot of this it's just like no bond gets in he starts it up he puts it in gear off he goes yes he is efficient in his action 
and I felt that with the tank too, you know, like that very easily could have turned into Fast and the Furious, mm. you know, but there was still an element of the man knows how to handle any vehicle. Yes. It's like even driving a tank through the main streets of St. Petersburg. It's like pff, he's, he racks up the property damage. Oh yeah, I don't know who's footing that bill. Yeah, who is footing that bill? <laughs> it, that's the kind of stuff you can't get into too much because you start to be like, oh Jesus Christ! You this had, has a cost. You had a British operative destroy downtown St. Petersburg. Um, oh, oh, actually, I've just thought of another vehicle. Yeah. Um, the uh, the the chopper. Yeah, a very significant vehicle. The, what what is it called? And the train. The Tiger? Is it, it, does it have a name? Tiger? It does have a name. Really? Well, the French... Fact check. The French guy, the French admiral or the French navy officer that introduces the display there is like that way. He must call it something. Yes, he does. I feel he like it's a tiger. My, my gut reaction, my gut feeling, I should say, right. is that it's a tiger. Because I think you see the word tiger printed on it in like a light blue... Well, it's instrumental in the in the story, in the catalytic. In yeah. The well, without it, they don't get the um, they don't get the the golden eye um, thing. What is that? It's floppy the, disk. The floppy it's, boy. It's like a floppy boy. <laughs> <laughs> the golden eye <laughs> floppy boy. The jewel. In yeah. The red jewel, which is yeah. a great little design. It is. It's a fantastic it's a good, it's little a design. design. Speaking of fantastic bloody design of the Seven Naya um, space control oh, system yeah. room where like they first mission get... control. Oh my god. Brilliant. Yeah, yeah it's beautiful. The, it? the, the set design in this film. Very good. Very, very good. I mean, so Peter Lamont, I believe. sets were mm. destroyed too, right? Yeah. Like... In... I loved the... the uh, the graveyard with the dramatic lighting behind oh, it. Oh, yeah, with all the relics. Of all the ex-Soviet yes. Union statues. statues. It's like a graveyard. Very operatic. That, that, Very that, operatic. Mm, beautiful. Mm. And of course, of course those two meet there. Yeah. Mm. Like, Great. just perfect background for those two. Hello, James. Movies. Silhouetted. Oh. Ah. Brilliant. So good. Yeah, but the train as well. The train's a big kind train's of vehicle. Got, it's a pretty unique looking thing. Man, it's got yeah. a helicopter within it. It as does. Well. Yeah. yeah. Uh, it reminds that, me of, uh, of Captain Nemo's. Uh, oh, oh, yes. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 From 40,000 Leagues. 20. 20. Half two. that. Yeah, half that. <laughs> <laughs> there is no 40,000. You don't want to know what's down at 40,000. Yeah, 20,000 is enough, Brandon. <laughs> Uh, yes, from 20,000 leagues under the sea. <laughs> the, the design that features in Ex- Ex- Extraordinary Gentlemen, which oh, features... Sean Connery. Sean Connery. Yes, yes. and Richard uh, Roxburgh as M. Uh, what? Yeah, Richard <laughs> Roxburgh plays a character named M oh, no. in that film. And Sean Connery is in that film. And he plays... Um, What's his name? Alan Quatermain. Alan Quatermain. Quatermain. Yeah, Quatermain. <laughs> I loved the film as a kid. I hate it as an adult. <laughs> <laughs> I had a very lovely conversation with Richard Roxburgh one day where um, we were talking about that film and how I was like, that's the first time I ever heard of you. <laughs> he was like, oh, well, I'm glad it wasn't the last. <laughs> 
Um, One final vehicle that I'd like to give an honor. Well, I, I must say, just before we leave the train, oh, yeah. I love the little dining carriage oh, yeah. that Trevelyan is in. The opulence. And I love all the silverware mm. around him. Mm. Beautiful. The, the blue and gold on the wallpapering yeah. behind him. Just fantastic. Yeah. So there's something about his Soviet sort of roots. Yes, well, it's just and, his greed. And, and too. also greed, kind money, of money. paints him as the kind of anti-Bond. Mm. It was yeah. something it's that a struck elegance. me. Yes, it, there was something about him in this viewing, and we'll get to this when we get to villains, but there was an element for me where I was like, Trevelyan, or 006, whatever you want to call him, he's kind of what Bond was it's the bond that got left behind once the Cold War was over. That's an interesting reading. And Pierce Brosnan's bond is kind of like similar to it, but without so many of the regressive elements. Yeah. Particularly when Alec Trevelyan kind of like kisses up and down. Yeah, forces and Natal- on, he forces yeah. himself he really on Natalia. Yeah. And like those lines of like, she tastes like strawberries. Bond goes, well, I wouldn't know. I would. Yeah. There's that kind of disgusting hunger about him mm. where you just kind of go, that that could have been what Bond turned into mm. in the 90s, yeah. and thank God he didn't. Mm. What was the other location you were going to talk uh, my about? My little honorary mention to the vehicle is the oh. the little blue car that Jack's getting around. Oh, yeah, that's a good in. one. Mm. You know, we see him fix her up the engine and have to slam it with the sledgehammer. The I two, like the frame. There's two of them the, just sitting in there when they're the outside window. of um, Robbie Coltrane's Zikowski's Zikowski's place, place yeah. and it's nice and squished together. Yeah, that was a good vehicle. Oh. There's always going to be something like that. Like the Audi. Yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. <laughs> well, actually, come to... Come to think of it, my favourite set is actually Zukovsky's little nightclub that he has there. That's your favourite set. That's my that's it. my favourite set, and I know it's not the most extravagant. Mm. I wouldn't say that he, it's the <clears throat> most iconic, mm. but there is something about um, the the little nightclub where Mini Driver is, you know, doing the standby man. man. I love it. I love <laughs> it. I love that Mini Driver was like one of the biggest stars of '95, and she's just this tiny yeah. character. <laughs> Um, no, I think the it, it kind of captures perfectly the CD nightclub in the daytime. Yeah. Oh yeah, and yeah. then going into Sukovsky's office, where he's got the kind of semi gauche kind of bar. Yeah, it, yeah it's yeah. it's this perfect guns thing the of the guns on the wall in the little glass case. There's something about it which is kind of reaching for Western elegance and decadence of the yeah. '60s, but just doesn't quite capture it enough. It's that thing of, like we were talking about with Necros, you know, he wears Levi jeans yeah. because they were very rare during Soviet the Soviet Union's time. It was very rare to get those in. So if you could wear them, it was a sign of status. There's a feeling within Zukovsky's office and nightclub. He wants of, to be on the West. He wants the decadence of the West. Mm. But there's something missing. It's a kind of hodgepodge kind of um, collage of western kind of elegance mm. I really really love it Good I love it um, I think the set design in this is amazing I mean the satellite at the end the uh, the mm. the, um, Russian... the miniature works really good. Oh, miniature work I'm glad is we're still seeing them even mm. in the nineties. Yeah, uh, well, there's a really tragic story, and I wish I could remember the guy's name. 
Um, but the guy who did the miniature work, the lead on the miniature work in this, he died about two months after the completion of filming uh. on this. He was very sick when he did the uh, the miniature work on this. And I believed he worked on other Bond films. And it, I, I do apologise, actually, um, that I can't remember his name. Um, in the next episode, we should um, you should fact-check me on this For one. Sure. Just to, um, to honour the guy's memory, because... I think his work in this is extraordinary, and I I actually believe this might be the last time that they they use miniatures in a Bond film. No, I'm not sure about that. What would be the other miniatures that you can think of? Um, well, I think miniatures are more disguised now than they used to be. Is probably the main thing. But I do recall when watching, I was watching the title sequences for the Craig films, oh, yes. and there was a reference to miniature work. In uh, I can't remember which one. I think it might be even Skyfall, possibly. Oh, maybe there is. Mm. Maybe there is. Mm. That's a that's an interesting thing. We should. Um, mm. Oh, we should maybe fact check that. Mm. They yeah. still use miniatures. Miniatures are still around. Oh, they just okay. they're kind of more used because in... it feels like they don't use the miniatures much as much, particularly in these later Craig films. It feels like they've really gone to CGI stand-ins extensions yeah yeah yeah. Mm. it really feels like they build the set and then kind of build the world outside of it from Mm. there but you 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 could be right actually if you double check that if it's in the title sequences it it probably would be Mm. there Mm. that's great Mm. well i like that well this is the last film that i remember the miniatures being uh featured in quite well they might be actually in tomorrow never dies a little bit but um, I do know that the that the gentleman who um, was the lead on the miniatures on, on this did pass away two months after. But I think his work in this is extraordinary. Mm. Yeah. It's extraordinary. Um, well, we should move on to, to our villains. We've mm. got a couple to go with. I'm going to throw this to you guys. Who is the first one that comes to mind? Who's the one you want to talk about Zenia. the most? Yeah, I thought it would be. <laughs> she's absolutely brilliant. She's crazy. Yeah, she's nuts. She's nuts. And bloody gorgeous. <laughs> like great performance. It's an amazing really performance by She Francie just Gunther. accepts it and lives it. Yeah, I think crazy. if she didn't go, if she didn't commit, mm. it would it'd it'd be, be a weird. disaster. It'll be a disaster. You're like, right. You're it's right. incredible. It'd be cringy. It would mm. be. It would be. The fact that she is I so invested yeah. in her character, I mean, aids the fact that she's incredibly attractive, but adds to her severity. She's and one of the most. I must like, say this. She's one of the most striking women yeah. I've ever seen. Yeah. Like there was no way she was going to be anything else but. I think what she is, yeah. like you an actress she, or model, whatever. She meant you mentioned that she doesn't become cringy. I think I don't know how she pulls it off because there are those moments where she becomes, you know, euphoric in the violence. Yes, I find myself identifying in those moments, going, "This is bizarre," <laughs> but I'm in it. Yeah, you know, because um, it's truth for her. It's truth she, for her. Yeah, that's she the really thing. gets off on that on that violence. Yeah, you know, to the point where she's like licking Pierce's face. Yeah, and like the that pleasure in her eyes of like she's going animal. to derail the train. She's a spider. She's some she's kind a, of really, creature. She's a, she's a, she's a creature. Yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 
Uh, yeah. a very the, the the truest form of sadist yeah. without it being judged or kind Enjoy of commented those on fights and the pain and mm. the, yeah. like such a unique ability too for a for a villain you know we have we have all of these iconic villains of they've got claws or they've got jaws or they've got you know hats mm. or whatever their weapon of choice is it's like she squeezes people with her legs <laughs> yeah. which is actually alluded to in 1987's The Living Day. Yeah, there was... I remember that element. Yes. Mm. So when Bond is in the, the first Q scene with Bond and he's sitting down with Q and they're looking at the, the kind of projected screen on the wall, they're trying to find all the known Soviet um, female snipers. Oh, yeah. Because he's trying to be like, who is it that's tried to shoot Yorgi? Um and they kind of go through it and one of the women that pops up it's not she's not called Xenia on a top but um, it's remarked upon that um, her preferred method of dispatch mm. is uh, is asphyxiation through the thighs or something like what? that yeah I remember that and mm. so that's a little you know wow what, what would you call that a seed. kernel or seed yeah, yeah. yeah that's yeah. kind of um, Stayed with the producers, I think, it's and then they've gone. Well, well, what about this? What about this? Let's mm, let's let's expand great. upon that. It's great. It's great. I love that kind of stuff. So good. Funky Janssen is fantastic in this. Mm. She doesn't just nail that sadist stuff either. She doesn't just nail the action stuff. Her scene in the casino. I was just about to mention that with Brosnan. Yeah, that is the stillness she has. That cold calmness too like she can bury it absolutely mm-hmm. that interaction if this was the first time i was watching this and i think i remember this being my reaction when i was a kid i thought she was the main bond villain mm-hmm. because that interaction we see them do the little you know the thing with the uh, down the mountainside in Monaco, the, yeah. the little car chase, and there's a little ooh, 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 what's ooh who's, who's this? Bye, bye, bye. Is she the Bond girl, or what is this? Um, and then they have the little interaction and conversation in the in the casino. I remember going, oh, is this this is the villain? Because there was that tension <clears throat> between them. Yeah. Was brilliant, yeah, brilliant, and I love it's the like fact the that she, yes, uh, mm. I love the fact that she orders a, um, she orders a vodka martini as well, Ugh. although straight up, yeah. with a twist. <laughs> she likes it bloody strong. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, no, I think I think she's fantastic. Who is the next most prominent villain that comes to your mind? It's got to be Alec. Yeah. Yeah, it's yeah. 006, Trevelyan. It's, it's got to be. It's yeah. got to be. Yeah, he's the first one that, that comes to mind, really, for me. Like, How do you rate him? He's fantastic. He's really, really strong. I, 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 you know, the journey that he goes on. Um, I really love I really love seeing him with Bond to begin with. It's like, oh, I don't know, you kind of get flashes of other missions that they probably would have worked on together, and it's a bit of a buddy, buddy film there at the start, meeting up and behind enemy lines and all that kind of stuff. And you really feel the betrayal and, and the history of the relationship too. Um, the bizarro Bond element is very present. The, oh, what, what, what do you mean by that? That he's, you know, like... The oh, bizarro Bond. Yes, yeah, of course. Yeah, yeah, the Bond. Shelbyville he, he's Bond. He's the dark, the black He's the Shelbyville Bond. Yeah. 
Yeah. I think he's a very capable villain. Um, I, I think he gets... I think he gets enough kind of mustache twirling that's just just a good amount. Mm. I think the final fight with him is incredible. The way he knows all of Bond's. Yes, I love that element of gadgets. like, oh, what, the watch. Oh, no. Still oh. press. Uh, what? What is it? Still press twice here. Is it? Yeah, mm. yeah. Newer model, kind of. You know, like, like ah, he's an equal match because he's come from the same place. Mm. Uh, you know, they're. And they're I, cut from the yeah. same cloth, and I think he's dispatched very well. I that I, I love that the motif of yeah. the for England, James. Yeah, no, for me, I love, love that. So, I love it. It's brought in just enough throughout the the entirety yeah. of the film. So good, just brilliant, really gruesome, gruesome. We end. we've kind of talked about Oromov a little bit. I, I think, think we all. Uh, Darby, you think he's probably less uh, effective as the film goes on? <laughs> yeah, I think in yeah. that kind of grander scheme, isn't he? But he's still a good villain. He's a, it's a great performance. He's got a great presence. You really on get a sense that it's that it unravels for him, mm. right? That it's like when we first meet him, you're like, oh, that uniform. He's the man in charge. Yeah, he's very sharp and precise, even yeah. in the way he's standing with the gun, as you know, as you remarked, absolutely. There's the class, that I, I, the confidence, and then you know, even that first meeting with with the defense ministry of like when when they bring up the fact there are two survivors. Yes. Oh, thank you for bringing that, that to, my, to attention. my attention. You know, he's starting to lose grip. Then. Yes. And then with the interrogation When he comes into Michigan and he's all out rushed. of sorts, that he hasn't had time no to do tie. his buttons or his tie or his jacket's askew. Yep. He's really rushed there. Yeah. And he's then after that, he's in the tank chase. He's constantly he's swigging from that. The flask. And then even once he gets... Um, not Isabella, what's her name? Natalia. Natalia. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, Natalia. Once he gets Natalia on the train, he kind of, you know, he's he's still swigging from the flask and he grabs a bit of toast and he's eating yeah, it. But it, he's so frustrated that he throws it down. It's a complete unravelling. He goes from control to complete disarray. Yes. And and that feeds into the fact that he doesn't know who to trust yeah. and that he's been he's actually been played. Yeah. Because Trevelyan doesn't care when Uramov gets dispatched. He was a means to an end. Exactly. He's got, he got what he wants, so yeah. Yeah, it doesn't matter to me anymore. I really love Uramov. I think Uramov's one of my... I think I said this earlier, but he's an iconic uh, Bond villain for mm. me. With he him. really... He's so planted in the front of my mind. There's something about Gottfried John in this film. He's got a great face. Striking, Great face. Striking, yeah. The yeah. uniform, the face, the hat, that Soviet hat. And he just sells every moment, every line that he has. Yeah. Uh, I guess our only other villain, I mean, technically Zukovsky is a bit of a villain, but he's mm. also a bit of an ally because yeah, he's a he's former... Bond and he... He's a cool character. He's I wish there was there was more Zukovskys in the Bond universe. You know? mm. Yes, <laughs> although we do get Zukovsky back. We get Sukovsky back yeah. in The World Is Not Enough. Oh, that's right. We get him back. Yeah. yeah. Mm. Um, which I'm looking forward to because I wonder how you guys will go with him being mm. reincorporated. I personally love the fact that he's reincorporated. For some people, it's a bit of a, oh, no, forget it, new film, get Andrew. a new person. Yeah, right. I think I quite like the Tide shared well, universe. Well, people don't seem to like it when it's in front of them, but... 
it's definitely nice 20 years later. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. <laughs> I, I, I think so, too. Mm. Um, Zukovsky is just charming. It's Robbie Coltrane. Yeah. How, can you, how can you not like him? I know. He's great. It's Hagrid. <laughs> <laughs> you got to love him. It's Hagrid. I think he's great. I think he's got some of the best bloody lines in the, in the he film. He's got my favourite line oh, in yeah. the film, which is the Walter PBK, 7.65mm. Only three people I know use it. I believe I've killed two of them. <laughs> Lucky me. Yeah. I think not. <laughs> I think that is brilliant. So that good. is a brilliant exchange. He's fantastic. Um, he's just so quotable. I mean, like, he's, the, the lines that Zukovsky says in this, I'm constantly thinking about when I think about Bond lines. Like, <laughs> my knee. Eggs every day. <laughs> it's just brilliant. His little exchange with Dimitri. Damn, how long winter's going? Well, it depends. But you silence. It's just great. Um, but I guess our only other villain, 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 our only other villain that we. Uh, need to talk about is um, a very close personal friend of mine um, Alan Cumming who plays uh, Boris Grishenko uh, what, what did you th- guys think of him? I loved Boris Grishenko yeah. I, I think he's kind of speaking to the same idea as J.C. Penny W.C. Fields J.W. Pepper J.W. <laughs> yeah, it's a different name every time. We've had we've had Pumpernickel for Baron Samity. Now we've had W. C. Fields and J. C. Penny. J. W. He's speaking to the same kind of uh, idea, you know, of this supporting kind of character, comic relief character. Yes, perfect, perfect. I love him. And Do you think he does? But. Because you've mentioned J.W. Pepper, mm. who you fucking hated. Oh, but that's the worst version of <laughs> oh, this idea. Oh, I get you. Know, you. Yeah, I that's get the you. worst version of this idea. Alan Cummings' best. He does the right. Yeah, right. He does the right. If you're going to put it. this in a Bond film, it's got to be like this. Do it it's like gotta, that. It's got to service the plot and the world and the story and the style. You know, J.C. Mm. Penny doesn't do that. <laughs> <laughs> J.C. Penny and Pumpernickel. <laughs> oh, yeah, I, I, I agree with that. I agree with that. He's the most over the top of, of all of our characters, but I mm. think he's it's coming from a place of truth again, <clears throat> as as any good actor. You know, he's invested. He's um, he's not holding back. He's not insecure about it. That's who Boris is for him. Um, and there's a lot of there's so many elements of Boris that are really critical to the journey of the film, you know, setting up the password um, all the way down to his little fidgety ticks to do with pens. There's a yes. lot of Jurassic Park in this movie. There is there a lot, is of, a Jurassic lot Park. of Jurassic Park. Yeah. Particularly in that final act. Oh, yeah. That third yeah. act. I get a real yeah. strong Jurassic Park. The Jurassic Park. Park. with Samuel L. Jackson. Uh, yeah. Uh, yeah. Uh, not without the password. What? Yeah. So, can I ask, do you guys know, what year did the first Jurassic Park come out? Nine, was it? 94. 93 or 94? Pretty was sure it's 94. It was definitely 90s? Uh, it was definitely oh, 90s. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm pretty sure it's either 93 or 94. 
time. I right. think it was like 89 or because something. Because I was wondering if that was kind of feeding into this, this film. Because I've always felt that final act has a bit of Jurassic Park. In the which wires and I cables actually, and yeah. trees. When, and the, plane when the plane gets yeah. shot down, the it makes me think of... Um, Lost World. Lost World? Yeah, this, yes. Yeah. It makes me think of that a lot, which it is a precursor to. It just further exemplifies, you know, the fact that Spielberg should have done a Bond. He should have done a Bond. Mm. He uh, really should have done a Bond. And I mean, there's still time. <laughs> well, hang there's on now. Hang time. on now. Hang on now. Because we <laughs> there were, is still time. Still time. Actually, we were we were talking a little there bit is. earlier during the screening about Mr. Mendes. Mm-hmm. Yes, know? we were. And Mr. Mendes has a very specific. Though very great and very talented style and mm. voice, sure. where you know perhaps the Bond voice gets a little bit lost mm. because it's overwhelmed by the person, big name director. Yeah. Whereas Mr. Campbell really is a servant to Bond and really kind of you know he is a custodian of that Bond voice. And I wonder the custodians if custodians are great. Term if a, for if it, yeah. a, if a Mr. Spielberg comes along, no, because his DNA is so closely entwined with what makes the DNA of Bond special. I've felt it too many times mm-hmm. to deny it. There's just something about his approach to camera, which yes. the Bond, yeah. which the Bond world loves. There's something about his approach to genre. Yeah. This approach. I mean, there was so much of Spielberg in this film. The yeah. kind of the low angle push down and up at the characters you know Spielberg, Spielberg would nail it he would absolutely nail it I don't and know. I would do it all for real Spielberg guy knows <laughs> <laughs> no I, I agree with you and, and funnily enough I think Indiana Jones is I think he's yet to really prove well, himself he's, he's got a long way to go <laughs> uh, it, well Indiana Jones is is very clearly a, an homage or love letter to to Bond, yeah. but the Spielberg. But it's also film, a love letter to serial adventure novels. It, yes, which it is. Bond is a love letter yes. to. Like, yes. there's so much of this kind of intermingling DNA. But it, it's funny because whenever I watch the film Jaws, mm. I go, Jesus Christ, I want this in a Bond film. Yeah. Mm. Well, I mean, even- I want that level of storytelling. Munich, even. Well, I watched that, and Daniel Craig is in that film, and I watched that, and I just kind of go, "Jesus Christ, this guy would do—he would direct the hell out of a Bond think film." Think about, think about, in the end of Goldeneye. Goldeneye is a Spielberg film. Think about the pen click. Yeah, yeah. that's a Spielberg and Hitchcock device. Mm. That's it. There is there is a bit of that, isn't there? Yeah, it's, yeah. it's tension, tension. the whole the whole thing is about this clicking of this pen and and Bond's eyeline and we know and and Bond knows but no one else knows and when's it going to go off? Yeah. That's just I can't believe that is at the climax of Goldeneye. That's fantastic yeah. in my opinion that that's such a central device. Well, I, I and I think that's a huge uh, hats off to Bruce Feirstein and um, Martin Campbell. Yeah. The screenwriter and the um, the director. I mean, the the other fellow that uh, wrote the screenplay with him is um, what's his name? I've got it written down here. Uh, Jeffrey Kane, Bob Kane. Uh, yeah, Bob Kane, Jack Kirby. <laughs> uh, no, uh, not to belittle his effort. That that I shouldn't say that. The story was written by Michael France, um, and the screenplay was written by Bruce Feirstein and Jeffrey Kane. Bruce Feirstein continued on with the Bond films in the you know he wrote the next one and, and he also wrote a, 
Um, you know, he wrote everything or nothing, and I believe he might have been involved with the story. No, he wasn't involved in the story with The World Is Not Enough because that was Neil Purvison. He wrote Everything or Nothing. What's Robert Everything Ray. or Nothing? Everything or Nothing was the um, the video game that came out in 2004 oh. after Die Another Day. Now, why do I know that? Oh, that is on Bond's crest. Is that right? No, Everything or Nothing oh, Eon is Productions. Eon Productions. Yeah. E-O-N. Yeah. Everything or Nothing. <gasps> That's there right. There you go. Little bit of intertextuality again. <laughs> Well, we've covered the villains. Yes. There's there's one more main character. Yes, there to, is to cover. And my God, wouldn't ah oh, no. Well, we'll get to him in a second. But you'd love to cover this character. <laughs> oh dear. Oh dear. <laughs> is that too much? <laughs> Natalia Simonova, oh. played by Isabella Skorupko. Goodness. Good. Good work. Wow, we beautiful. Yep. I'm just going to say that now. Let's yep. get that out of the way. She's absolutely stunning. Can't deny. We probably uh, should record that once and play it for every Bond girl. <laughs> <laughs> yes and no. <laughs> I, I don't know if that applies to every Bond girl. No. Uh, I think she is the most capable Bond girl we've seen so far. Agreed. Yeah, Living Daylights was a good Bond girl, but yeah. this, this took the capability. Of I, I think Kara in Living Daylights is the perfect example of almost the, I hate this term, but the damsel in distress. No, I, don't, I would disagree with you. I don't think she's a damsel in distress. I think she's a hero, but a hero who doesn't choose her journey. Yes. I think Natalia is a hero who chooses her journey. I think, though, without in, 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 uh, to kind of go against you on that, I think without Bond stepping in to save her, she's dead, which makes her a damsel in distress. True. Bond doesn't save Ill- uh, doesn't save Natalia Simonova's life. Hmm. Natalia saves her own life. She's very lucky after the Sevenaya thing. You know, her own re- you know her own kind of skills and resources allow her to Get escape the the massacre there. Hmm. Um, but even when she meets Bond. She's actually she leads Bond yes. a lot of the way. Because she's already on whereas her own Kara journey. is always kind of going, What about Georgi? And he does this and oh but James, what about True. this? Um, you know, she's kind of led you know, she stumbles upon her own independence, whereas I feel like Natalia is like from the get go, Nope, I will survive this. Mm. And I think that's perfectly summed up in the uh, repetition of the line, kill him. He means nothing to me. Yeah, that's great. It's just brilliant. She's survived so much. Yeah. And she's... Without her, Bond doesn't survive. Exactly. And we, Bond doesn't find Trevelyan in uh, Cuba, I think it is, or yeah. wherever it is at the end. Havana. <coughs> um, Cuba. Uh, uh, I think she's she's brilliant. What are your thoughts on on Natalia Simonova? Yeah, fantastic. I think she's. I, I'd agree. She's one of the most capable Bond women we've had. Um, it's been great to see that that's actually happened. Like over the over the film's kind of lifespan. That like I remember Doctor No. We've got uh, <laughs> oh, God, Honey Rider. Yeah. You know, one of the most iconic yet 
uh, shockingly just underdeveloped. Collecting coconuts. Yeah, yeah, whatever. <laughs> and, and shells. And yeah, finally shells. meets the person that ki- is responsible for the death of her father and does nothing. Yeah. Um, and it affects her in no way. No way whatsoever. Yeah. Uh, all the way up until Natalia now, where it's like she climbs out of that uh, of that facility in, in the snow. Yeah. Um, After essentially burying her friends. Absolutely. Absolutely. And she's, a, she's a survivor of a mass shooting. You know? Yeah, so exactly. Yeah. And she's sucks. straight on to Contact Boris. She's off on her own journey. She goes to the, the little IBM store and she's searching and hacking and messaging. And, you know, before Bond comes along, yeah. you know, she's, she's trying to on her solve own. it herself. Yeah. Exactly, exactly. Um, and she just proves herself time and time and time and again. Yeah, I, it's funny because some people think that um, she doesn't serve the plot. That if you removed her, Bond still solves this by himself. I don't think that's true. No. I really don't think that's true. Bond is not a, a computer programmer. He's not a hacker in any way. Without her sending the spike back to Boris on the train, yes. there's no way of them knowing where, where Trevelyan are. ends up. Because according to the British government, according to even the Russian government... yes. Goldeneye doesn't even exist. Yeah, they don't so know this is second not satellite. even on the map. Exactly. Um, when people say that she's not instrumental to the plot, she's I integral. Really think she, she is. She's a hundred percent integral. Yeah. Um, and I think she's extraordinarily capable. And I think she she is um, she's one of the first Bond women in the franchise that opens up Bond a little more. Yeah, particularly that scene that where scene she's on the like, beach. You know, do you think she opens him up? I think she opens him up for us. I don't think mm. she opens him up for himself, mm-hmm. but enough for us to be like we understand him more on another level. Oh, that's an interesting thing I've never considered with mm. Bond. Mm. Whereas we then get in Casino Royale, Bond gets opened up personally, and we see him feel that. Mm. I don't think it affects Pierce Brosnan's Bond as much, but it does inform us as the audience more. Does she mm. ever take a life? Is she killing this? I don't think she does. No. I can't remember. I don't, I don't think, think she does kill anyone. She does point the gun at the helicopter pilot at the end. Yeah, that's true. Um, but she doesn't pull the trigger. No. I'm fairly sure she doesn't kill anyone. Yeah. So she achieves her, her, her goals without take pulling the trigger. Which Bond doesn't, mm. which is an interesting counterpoint to what she's saying to him on the beach. Yes, I think she's invaluable. She's one of my favourite Bond girls. Mm. Yeah. yeah, particularly so far. Particularly yeah. so far, I can't think of any so far. I think Kara and um, and Natalia are my two favourites mm. so yeah. far. Yeah. Um. Before we get into ratings, mm-hmm. the style mm. of the Bond yep. is very important. Favorite outfit? Mine's a toss up. Ooh. Mine's a toss up between Jungle Bond. Yeah, yeah. yeah. You did have a very yeah, strong reaction to that. Jungle Bond was was up there for me. It's something about Jungle Bond. Don't know yeah. what it is. I like it. I Tactical like the whole thing. Bond. Yeah. Tactical Bond. Jungle based. Jungle Ooh, based. Okay. There's something about the jungle based. I like it. Okay. Um, yeah, yeah, the camos. Yeah, yeah. 
um, it's kind of he's getting in touch with his military roots a little more you know yeah. There's, yeah. there's an element I like the um, one of the casual outfits oh gosh what was it I pointed it out because I knew I'd forget it yeah um, it was I think it's one of mine too mm. I think it was when he first stepped on the boat first on the, oh, he yes, has a double breasted navy jacket Oh, the brass button and the maroon sort of shirt. And yeah. yeah, yeah, and then he had sort of tan. That was very nice, on. elegant outfit. Yeah. But I also equally, I'll let you talk about it. Actually, those would be my my two favorites. What were you going to say just then? The the long overcoat. I know that it'll oh, be your yeah. favorite. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Well, now that you brought it up, that yeah. is my favorite. Him in the coat when mm. they're they're fixing the car when Jack Wade is given the yeah. The little whack on the car. I I, I think he looks fantastic mm. in a coat. Mm. I love Bond in a overcoat, and I love Brosnan in a suit. Yeah, I think he looks great. Yeah. His other, my other favorite of his suits is the uh, the grey uh, Prince of Wales check yes. that he wears. Yeah. My other shout out to costume design before you, Jake, is mm. the uh, just I loved how much Xenia's outfits informed my understanding of her character. Yes. So that was great costume work, mm-hmm. especially the one where she was very much styled like a spider. Yeah. Because that just unlocked a new level of understanding. Before of they the get on the train. Before they get on yeah. the train. She's dressed like a spider. Oh, and yeah, it's got the point. It's something about the, the, the long thorax, I think it's called, on a spider. Yeah. Oh, okay. um, but uh, The bottom. The bottom. <laughs> the bottom. But... Um, yeah, great bit of costume yeah. design there as well. Again. It looks like she has a stinger. Like yes. she has yeah, a right. venomous But it's also like organic. It's yes. also organic. Yeah, it is. And, and, it doesn't and look grounded in her character. Yeah. Yeah. yeah, it's not a gratuitous, let's see some skin. Let's design some costumes. Oh, we yeah. want to see a figure, or mm. yeah, let's have some outrageous outfit. It's like, mm. no, it's in, it's it's informing the character and it's coming from a real place. Mm. You know, like when she descends the zip line from the helicopter at the oh, end yeah. there in the jungle before she's get squashed up against the tree there it's like she's in her own version of tactical she gear is. and stuff you know yeah. i think for me look when i think of brosnan's bond i think of the tux mm. it's like him in in a bow tie at the casino table him in the gun barrel best gun barrel we have seen so far ever ever that is a damn Nailed. good gun. Stand though. and deliver, baby. Yep. That's no it. shaking, no quivering. No stirring. It. No stirring. <laughs> Very well done. Um, so, he, yeah, him and, him in the dinner suit for sure. I think an honourable mention like you, Darby, is his outfit on the on the, on the the motorboat, the, the big yacht there before the, the helicopter mm-hmm. display with the double-breasted um, jacket. I really loved the... Um, Black tactical gear at the, at the top start. of the start. Yes, that's great. The yeah. you know diving off the off the damn wall there and <laughs> less iconically Brosnan, more iconically Bond. I think so. Mm-hmm. I think so. And I like. Well, it felt like a double O agent, and again, it, it reminded me the start of Living Daylight. The start of Living Daylight. Yeah. Mm. yeah. Yeah. True. The Which Travolta feeds into me again. Why I the think Travolta. that the the John Travolta <laughs> the uh, Gibraltar yes that's right <laughs> I again it feeds into me I think because it these two talk to each other so much again I think the Living Daylights opening pre-title sequence is iconic for me mm. and I wonder if it's because it, it speaks so much to the GoldenEye mm. opening sequence even though there's a big gap those two films really communicate mm. 
There's a lot of transference of DNA. We do have to talk about, because Living Daylights was our last review. Yes. There is a carryover from the Living Daylights yeah. into this. Oh, yes. Which is our villain, played by Joe Don Baker, who was Bradley Whitaker, mm-hmm. now playing... Jack Wade, CIA agent, mm. in this. Far enough away, I guess, from yes, the audience and they, memory. Yeah. I actually, I don't even see them as even being the same actor. Yeah, it's crazy. These. No resemblance. Good work by him. It's good yeah. Work by yeah. Him. Still don't know why he was cast, but it's good work by him. It is, it is a strange thing. Yeah. I, I kind of go, because it's not a character where you go, oh, it, it has, has to, be. to be a Joe Don Baker. Yeah. I mean, it's great that it is. Get anyone, but it could have been anyone. Mm. He's um, not bringing bums to the cinema. Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know? yeah. yeah he's surely got that not. bigger following. Surely, yeah. I mean, yeah, I sort of re- remarked on it when when he first popped up there. I think he's a great little character, but I wondered why. If you've got a CIA representative there, why isn't it Felix? Yeah, you know, if if he if Jack is embedded in Russia and that that's his territory sure I kind of get it but he turns up in Cuba anyway and he's like yeah. looking after the marines like he's in control of that platoon of marines should have been and, Felix and, and the coordination of that whole operation and surveillance of Bond's operation down there you know you've got clearance from the coast guard they know you're there keep it under 500 that's Felix mm. yeah. that's Felix language yeah it is it is a strange thing that the Pierce Brosnan films don't introduce Felix. I have a theory as to why they don't. Right. But I don't want to get into that just yet. Okay. Okay. You keep your little secrets. I think it spoils too much of the previous films and I don't want to do that. Um, Darby, you've covered it fairly well, I think, in in passing, but Mm. we always finish this before we go into the ratings. Technically... Well, John, uh, not John Glenn. My apologies, Martin mm. Campbell. Well, he is a John Glenn. He is a Guy Hamilton. There is so he much is, of that DNA. He, isn't he there? has the fundamental Bond directed gene. Yeah, um, I'm coming to identify what that is. I'm. This has been the biggest um, joy for me out of watching all these Bond films. Really, is really understanding the role of the director in this bloody thing yeah this huge beast and huge and beast. there seems to be certain directors that come about every now and then that are just particularly adept they're particularly well suited to it martin campbell is one of them he's he's in john glenn guy hamilton martin campbell they're my big three guys that i have newfound respect for and yeah he everything he does for this film he does beautifully and i think a lot of this the success of this film is based on him you know Great screenplay, yes, but he's bringing it to life, and he yeah. he did it really elegantly and very very well. So yeah, that's mm. Martin Campbell. High, he high has praise. my yeah, yeah, he has my praise absolutely well for what it means. Can, what can I ask? Because I don't think we covered this. Um, did you have a least favorite outfit in the film? Ooh. I don't think anything no, stood not, out for me as a well styled film. No, I don't think well anything stood out as like ooh. I everything in the film I would have worn today, apart from maybe what Boris Krushenko wears, but I think that's meant to be pretty gauche. Mm. Yeah, yeah, he's kind of you know, tacky. Yeah, 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 nightclub owner. So even his oh, outfit. yeah, Tchaikovsky, you mean? Who do no. you mean? I was talking about Krushenko, Boris, um, Alan Cummings' character. Oh, oh, Boris. But yeah. He even yeah. holds up, though. 
for the type of character that he is. He definitely yeah, does. Yeah. Still holds it. I wouldn't wear any of it. If I had no. to pick a least stylish thing, it would be Boris. Sure. But I think he's meant to be. That's his character. Yeah, that's yeah, right. It's, it's his character. Yeah, yeah. There was no double blue mesh singlet <sighs> no. outfit. Thank <laughs> God. Oh, actually, I wanted to pick this up because yeah. you mentioned it last episode. What did you think of Pierce Brosnan's hair? Because you said that Timothy Dalton's was too long. Yeah, yeah. What do you think of Pierce Brosnan's in this? I love it. Did you? Yeah, I did. Because it's pretty long. It's got the length, but it's you know what? Near, it stays... near it's... A near mullet, particularly near mullet. when he wears that uh, dinner jacket in the casino, and it kind of like doubles back in on itself oh, behind really? his ear. Oh, yeah, I didn't yeah. notice that. I didn't notice that. It's pretty long. It's definitely the longest that Pierce Brosnan has. Really? And I think it kind of ties into the uh, the Dalton hairstyle a little bit. Ah, uh, easy now. Uh, <laughs> look, for me... Which Dalton's... I'm a fan of. I really liked Dalton's hair. Dalton's hair? hair? In, in, in The Living Daylights. I don't like it in License the to Dracula Kill. Hair. I'm I not looking like forward to that. I don't like the Dracula hair in but that. But I think Dalton's is too wafty. You know, it's sort of blown around all over the place. At least when Pierce is kind of... It's a bit greasier. It's abstract <laughs> criticism. <laughs> Too much waft. Yeah. Too much, too much. God damn it, Strawberry, get rid of those sideburns. <laughs> Look, Mr. Burns, I don't, I don't know what you think sideburns are. Even when Pierce's hair kind of does get a little bit disheveled, he's got a couple of like single streaks coming down his forehead there. It works for him. It works. He Sexy. pulls it off and the rest of it's kind of stuck in, whereas Dalton's yeah. is like... Yeah, you when know, he gets shot... when blowing all over the place. The, sh- the chair around him gets shot, and then he looks back up and his hair's all tussled. It's like, yeah. I want to see more of that. <laughs> yeah, yeah. God damn it, he can do no wrong. <laughs> He's Mr. Steel, you girl. Yeah, really is. Well, gentlemen. Look okay. at. I think we've covered all the, uh, the criteria. Um, I'm going to start with you, Jake. Oh. What are you rating this film? How are you rating this film? How am I rating it? Look, I go back to my six category criteria. Mm -hmm. How's the bond? How's the plot? How's the vehicles? (laughs) Do you have them written I don't think he's written them down. I think he's memorising the six categories. And then he's like, I'll figure them out as I go. It's different every film. As long as there's six, I'll be fine. No one's losing Five this. or six. Yeah. Yeah, they'll stop counting six. after if, four. Oh, yeah, but if I get to seven, who minds? Anyway, what were your first three? Say them again. The bond. Yeah, yeah. The plot. That's the right. plot. The plot. Um, <laughs> The Bond women, the gadgets and, and vehicles, Four. the style, yeah, and, and the what's lo- the six? The, the locations, right? <laughs> the the locations. What about your quips? It's a, what yeah. about your quips? Right? What about all? This? I said style. I can think of the quips come under the Bond and how he handles it. I know what I'm doing. Shut up. Oh, so there's like subcategories, sub-categories. underneath <laughs> the category. So there's essentially millions of categories <laughs> by which to judge. Anyway, continue. (laughs) All I wanted to say was, oh, you're both a bunch of pricks. (laughs) This film, this film, 
nails absolutely every single one of my six-point plan <laughs> in order to make a top Bond film. It's a bloody shaken ten from me. Uh, it's out of the park. Well, I bloody love it. Wow. I loved it the first time I saw it. I love it till the day I die. It's the best. Yeah. All right. Very good. I'm, I will say impeccable Bond film uh, up there for me with on my favourites list. Masterful direction, you know, which I find sets apart a Bond film for me. Great James, great Bond women, ticks all the boxes. Doesn't quite get a shake in 10 for me. Loses some points from some, for some questionable score oh, yeah. elements, I That's think. That's enough to Music's a big part of Bond. Music's a big part of Bond. We didn't cover that, but... We didn't cover that, but music's a big part of Bond. Having said that, Mm. It's a brilliant film. I'm going to give it a shake and nine. Mm. Shake and nine. She's a high yeah, one. That's a high one. Both of you have gone very high on this yeah, film. Yeah, yeah. Look. It's in your top three. Pierce Brosnan is absolutely fantastic in this. Mm. I don't think he gets better. I don't think there's a weak link in the cast. Mm. I think the script is fantastic. Martin Campbell always knows how to make a fantastic Bond film. He hasn't failed when it comes to a Bond film. Um, Green Latin, we will. Green Latin's not a Bond film, but he did (laughs) fail there. I will say that. I'll put that on the record. I struggle to think of a a low point for this film, apart from Eric Serra's score. Mm. The only other thing that I would say is a low point for me is how the film kind of fades out. Sure. It's just three helicopters flying off into the, not even sunset, just kind of like a grey sky. It's a quick ending. And then Eric Serra's god-awful song starts playing, which he is the singer on. The, the score is the biggest letdown for me, and the kind of uh, somewhat limp ending. Mm. Other than that, this is top three Bond for me. Gee. And I'm giving it my highest rating so far, a shaken nine. Oh. This is a shaken nine. Wow, that's big for shaken. McClellan. This is big. This is one of my favourite Bond films. Mm. I mean, we only watched this six weeks ago, and I was still, I was still edge of my seat, endlessly having the time of my life. So good. Mm. Look, I I I know the score is a bit of a letdown. There's some weird and wacky '90s experimentation going on there from Eric, but look, I'm so thankful that the Bond theme cranks in there in the tank chase. And, and I will refer anyone to a lovely track uh, on the soundtrack called uh, We Share the Same Passions. You listen to that, it's stunning. It's when he's coming into Monaco, it's through the, all of the, the casino scene, it's beautiful strings. Oh, it, that is a great it moment. It feels Bond. Well, it, it, on the score as well, before we leave, um, my favourite part of the score is actually not written by... Um, by Eric Serra, it's the Tank Chase score. Hmm. Yeah, th- um, yes. They brought someone else in oh, to do the score of that. That's not Eric Serra. Well, that's uh, it's that's written by uh, John Altman. Right. Uh, he did the uh, the score to the tank, tank Chase scene, which is the only part of the film where the Bond theme really kicks like in. Is, yeah. 
And uh, I think it's a brilliant piece of scoring. If the whole film sounded like that, or if it sounded like that casino scene. Shake and ten. Oh my God, it's a shake and ten. Mm. I mean, it's up there. It's bloody up there. Mm. It's that score that, that, that just disqualifies it from a 10. Mm. And so the limp ending. I want to... I do love the ending. Bond with, is guilty of that kind of... That quick farewell. The, the fly off into the sunset. I would prefer it if it was on a kiss. Mm. Yeah. Living Daylights, Live and Let Die, Dr. No. They all finish on a kiss. Honor Majesty's has a very... It does end on a kiss, but it's a very bittersweet one. Yes. Um, but they end on a kiss, whereas Goldeneye kind of ends on... He picks her up in his arms and they kind of get on the helicopter, but they're surrounded by a bunch of marines. You yeah. know what I mean? There's mm. nothing romantic about it. I do like the, the kind of romantic ending. Or, give me a balls-to-the-wall, bombastic ending like Casino Royale. Mm. Mm. We have now seen the debut films of each of the first five actors to play James Bond. My goodness. We would usually say that the next film would be the debut film of the next actor, which would be Daniel Craig in 2006's Casino Royale. Mm. But we're not going to say that. We like to do things differently. We do. Seeing as though the film No Time to Die is coming out this April, what we're going to do is we're going to save the four Daniel Craig films and we're going to watch them in the four days preceding the premiere mm-hmm. so that we can then on the fifth day watch No Time to Die. We'll be doing podcasts, don't worry, we'll get our reviews out. But because the Daniel Craig series is the series of films is kind of a reboot mm-hmm. of the Bond franchise and that the first 20 essentially follow their own kind of timeline or at least a some form of shared universe. We thought it would be better to do, having done the first five uh, Bond films, for, uh, Bond actors' first films, Jesus, I'm dripping over that, <laughs> that we should now randomise the remaining films, of which there would be 15. So there are 15 films. I've cut up the titles. They're sitting in a hat next to me. Now, what we're going to do, and we'll probably do this each week, who knows, it could be a different method of choosing each week, but this week, what we're going to do is each one of us is going to blindly draw a title from this lovely Stetson hat. We're going to read out the title each, so there'll be three films. Then we will assign two numbers on a six-sided dice to each person at the table. Whatever number comes up, the corresponding person, their film will be chosen as the next review. So well, We thought it was best to come up with a convoluted way to match yes, the, the yes. plot the of most Bond films. The more complicated, the better. Yes, like a Bond villain, <laughs> we are making this needlessly complicated. We and could have just... explaining it to you ahead of time. The house yeah. always wins, so we have to keep it as complicated now, do I, as possible. Now, do I keep this to my chest and we talk... Once we've all done I it. think you can announce. No, Straight no, on. let's let's reveal. Let's, let's keep hold it mystery. Hold. All right. I'm, holding, I'm holding this now, dear listeners, above my head. Mr. Deck is roughly two. I've got standard. one. He's I've got, got, one. got, got, got grip of one. Pull it out. Keep it close. Don't look at it, Jake. Don't look at it. Oh God, what is it? This is so tense. Oh, oh. Mr. Spear. Yes, the hand is going in. Oh, what was that? Oh, there's so many. Oh, he's, still... he's got one. It's close to his chest. Uh, Mr. Deck, would you hold this above my head so that I may uh, 
Chase, oh, your laugh then made me think that Die Another Day is out of the bloody deck, be, and I really hope it's not. Dear listener, I'm showing my cards by saying I hate that film. <laughs> Alright, I'm having a look. Oh, alright. Alright, Mr. McClellan. We now, well, I we have... now should reveal yes, Mr. Deck. I have a Connery. Ooh. You have a Connery? I have quite a good Connery, I Ooh. believe. Dear listeners, yes. I have extracted from the Stetson Thunderball. Thunderball! Ooh. That's exciting. Ooh. I like the sound of that. Mr. Spear. Yes. What Mr. have McLaren. you drawn from the Stetson? And remember, remember that tomorrow is my birthday, so do not hurt me. What I have drawn out, dear Lister, is a Brosnan. Oh. Oh, no. Don't you dare. Don't you dare. The film that I have released from the hat. Is die another day? Die another day. (laughs) There's a one in three chance that tonight has been ruined. She's in the mix, baby. (laughs) Oh, God. Well, gentlemen, it's two Conneries versus Die Another Day. And this is another classic. Oh, my God. I have withdrawn the second Bond film from Russia with Love. Let's keep those separate from Die Another Day so that they <laughs> don't contaminate. What numbers shall we assign? Well, we Darby, should pick... you should call out a number and you get that number. Five. Five? So Ooh. five is assigned to Darby. Jake. Four. Three. One. Six. Two. Five and one is Thunderball. Five and one is Thunderball. Four and six. Die Another Day. Die Another, die day. another day. Two and three from Russia with Love. Oh, God. Here we are. I'm about to roll the dice, ladies and gentlemen. Tomorrow is my birthday. Please, if there's a God, it will not be a what? Four and six. Four and six. (laughs) No! No! Oh, my God. What are the chances? You jinxed it from the very beginning. Roll it three times and then divide by three. (laughs) Ladies and gentlemen. Oh, well. What an upset. Oh, no. Well, gentlemen. (laughs) The Bond film we will be watching tonight. I can't believe it! For the next episode, ladies and gentlemen, you will be joining us for 2002's (laughs) Die Another Day. Oh, God. The alternatives are so good! (laughs) 